The following podcast contains spoilers and adult language. We recommend watching the movie beforehand, but hey, that isn't your bag? No worries. You do you. Brought to you by our patrons over at patreon.com slash matineemanities. If you'd like to support the show, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all proceeds after hosting costs will go towards actual manatee habitat preservation, because we like to pay it forward by giving back. Enjoy the show. Um, 
1991 stars Kevin Costner, Morgan Freeman, and of course the late great Alan Rickman, who is in a completely different movie than <laughs> everyone else in the film. That's a good way of putting it, actually. Yeah, a completely different movie. Like, I, I mean, I'm going to talk about That's my main sticking point on everything. <laughs> Actually pretty popular. Got a 6.9 on IMDb. Uh, 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, but 72% audience score. And four out of five stars on Amazon, which I don't know if that's a rating system worth pursuing, but doesn't, I looked it up. Doesn't every movie that hasn't every single movie we've done get four out of five stars on Amazon? Oh, um. If so, then I forgot. I know I stopped mentioning Amazon's course for a reason. I'm because that was it. I'm pretty sure that like it, like Resident Evil, I think got it, which was kind of a surprise. And then I think a couple others also did, but I. Honestly, I can't remember exactly because I have my show notes and your show notes are in front of you, so uh, I don't know what you wrote down. I feel like things. I feel like Amazon is more on our page than most other review sites because we always think everything is pretty okay. There's not. Well, I don't think we liked Mortal Kombat that much, did we? Um, I, I thought it was stupid and loved it simultaneously. I don't okay. know if that's a, uh... <laughs> like, I can... I can look at something and realize this is not a good movie and also be enamored with it. Oh, for yeah. whatever weird reason. Oh, is, no, uh, definitely. I think it's a skill, actually. I think I learned how to do that at some point when I realized that adult life was going to be disappointed otherwise. <laughs> but it works out pretty well. <laughs> this movie, I thought, opened really strong because it does an overture, which I don't see much of anymore. Yeah, that's true. Like, like, it's panning over tapestry, a specific famous historical tapestry, I just forget which one, uh, and goes through every major musical cue of the movie by the uh, uh, adjective that means good, Michael Kamen. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think died pretty recently, but he was the... What, he did the X-Men, he did Band of Brothers, I've liked all of his scores. I'm sure he's done more famous things that I just don't have any off the top of my head. He did the, the Metallica crossover album with the San Fran- I think it was the San Francisco Orchestra or something like that, where they did like orchestral versions of Metallica songs. And I only know that because I bought the CD when it was new. So. That had a fun name, right? It was the... It's like S&M or something, I think is what it was called. Yeah, yeah. I remember specifically the Bells one was better in that version than any other I ever heard. <laughs> For whom the bell tolls? Yeah. Yeah. That needs an orchestra. Yeah, of course it does. So, okay, before we get any further, uh, I just want to mention that I don't know if this was just on my end, but from my viewing, and I watched this on Netflix, and I watched it twice, so the same thing happened both times. I don't know if it was just me, but it felt like the audio balance was way off. Like the music and the sound effects were significantly louder than any dialogue. And it really kind of, it made it difficult when there was music and dialogue happening. Because I could never hear what anyone was saying over the oh. music. Was it just me? I did not notice that, but I also wasn't, like, listening for it. Well, I wasn't listening for it either. It just kind of happened. Like, if, if, there was, if there was just, like, dialogue, and then it switched to a scene where there was really loud music, it just kind of, you know, it burst through my eardrums and it was just kind of uh, terrifying so I, I don't know if it was just me but that kind of distracted from me a lot well I, I didn't notice but I also um, watch everything on my little like $90 flat screen with the built-in speakers thing, and it never gets too loud. I don't know if it sort of has an auto-balancing effect or anything, but uh, my sound system is garbage, and I did not notice that. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm running off 15-year-old speakers, but... Speakers. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Eh, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's that was that was kinda like that was my only like major complaint.
complain about this movie was just like if if it was if it was kind of a quiet scene and people were whispering to each other, I have to turn the volume up, and then there'd be this loud scene coming up next with like fire and everything and it would deafen me for a few seconds and I'd have to turn the volume down. Just, it was it was like the worst part of this. But it wasn't actually the movie I'm sure. It was probably just either my speakers or Netflix's weird audio mixing or something. I don't know what it was. Well, I mean, that, that's super relevant because when that happens, I hate it. Uh, I just didn't notice it happening on this one for me for whatever reason. Okay. But it's definitely me. been a thing in the past that ruins an entire movie for me. <laughs> yeah. So it might have been just me, but I just kind of learned to to deal with it, and when the music got really loud, I would just move away from my speakers. <laughs> well, so, on the music, um, I just don't want to let the, the overture go by without saying how much I love the soundtrack completely independent of the movie and I actually think they used the song from it for their production company for a couple of years to come. Yeah, they did. Because I remember I remember hearing that exact little um, snippet of the overture being in being as like a production company's theme kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those ones they used for like a decade to try and make golf look exciting in commercials. Yeah, something like that. I don't know like if they use that exactly. Yeah, but yeah, they use something like that. Well, I remember this song in particular, the one from Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, and uh, Randy Edelman's soundtrack from Dragonheart, which is another movie I saw when I was a kid, which I loved, which always were pretty shamelessly appropriate. Well, I mean, bottom, I'm sure, but were used all the time for like golfing montage clips where. They try to make it look like a fast-paced game with sticks <laughs> uh, in commercials, and then you actually watch it when you're super baked and just want to make a day go by. <laughs> I don't mean to trash the sport of golf. It looks fun. I just don't think it's exciting to watch. It's pleasant to watch. Um, it's it's well I mean have you ever actually gone golfing? I have. Um, okay. It's not a thing I'll ever do frequently because it's 
Like, it takes about as long as moving costs four times as much. Mm-hmm. And I like movies better. But yeah. no, it's... Yeah. Like, it's... It's... On a basic level, it's a walk through a pretty boring park with people that you hopefully get along with. Like, hmm. it's not bad. Um, if it was free, I'd probably do it fairly frequently, but it's not, so... Yeah. I don't know. I prefer, I prefer mini-golf myself. Well, mini-golf is just a more entertaining course. Like, I actually do too, yeah. But you don't get to, like, get out, like, actual exercise and aggression, like, slug something 300 feet. Like, that's, that's kind yeah, of fun. That's true. Have you ever been golfing? Uh, I did once, but it was a long, long time ago. Like, probably... Probably 15 or so years ago, I did the nine-hole course, I forget what the one, it's like the one that was around this, well, we're underwater, right, there are no golf courses around here, sorry, Uh, I've I've heard of it, there was one. I forget our own Because <laughs> <laughs> I was going to talk a little bit later about how I had a, a, a shower thought, but then I remembered we're underwater. We don't take showers. Right. I mean, I think... I don't, I don't think we need to commit to that hard. <laughs> but also, if it was that golf course by the river, that's frequently underwater, so whatever. I think it I think it was that one actually. So I I might have caught the loops of it here or there. And I must have seen other people playing golf on that course about 15 years ago. Let's let's go that. So as an adult, at least, like it was, you were old enough you could decide whether it was fun or not. I don't think I. W- it might have been more than 15 years ago. Because I remember it was... I think I was still, like, a teenager. Uh, So, it was... Yeah, it was a while ago. I don't know. I I didn't... I didn't particularly enjoy it myself. But... I... I I don't know. I I think I... We should go at some point. Just borrow some clubs and see what golf is. Cause now I feel like neither of us have the background necessary to talk about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. 
version 
of the TV version. And so they should like, okay, let's change his name. And we have a zine. Or they just didn't realize that the rights were still active and owned by a British production company or something. Something like no, that. No, no, yeah. the Zeus R guy. Yeah. You have to make him Morgan Freeman. <laughs> well, interestingly, on Men in Tights, which might be a better movie, honestly, but. Uh, Carrie Elwes, is that the name? Yeah. Yeah. From Princess Pride, from Minotites, was originally approached uh, to play Robin in Prince of Thieves. And I think that would have gone a lot better. But he didn't for whatever reason. And we got Kevin Costner, who I'm sure was a huge draw at the time. Yeah, I think he was he was just coming off of like um what was it? I had I had his page open and I closed it and I don't know why I did that. I think this was right before his way down because like this is before Waterworld and The Postman and after Dances with Wolves so I think this was sort of his uh yeah that's what it was it was like just after Dances with Wolves and uh was it Field of Dreams Bull Durham were like a couple years before this. So he was like a yeah. big draw in the so this early is 90s. Right when he was a superstar and right before people started realizing that you can't put charming corn-fed America uh, boy in any genre and have it work. <laughs> like, I think after Waterworld and Postman, people started realizing that there's a certain kind of movie for Kevin Costner, and this was the last one where they were like, he can do anything. Can't. <laughs> I've actually, I've yet to see Waterworld. I've, I've always I always wanted to see Waterworld. Oh, well, I, shit, let's do that one next. <laughs> the other thing is that I, I looked there's another movie that I've always wanted to see but still have never and I know that everyone the, every, all the reviews I've I've seen are terrible of it, but it's three thousand miles to Graceland because it has Kevin Costner and Kurt Russell, and I really want to see that, but I, have I haven't seen that. I haven't heard of that one, honestly. 
it's like, it's like they play like Elvis uh, impersonators and there's some like robbery or something. I don't know what it's about, but it looked amazing back when it came out to me and everyone like everyone just bashed it and I really still want to see it. Dude, if that one's on Netflix or any free streaming, I said let's do it. I don't know if it is. Let me look right now since I'm... Since I can and will tell you in about five seconds. It is not on Netflix. Okay. Well... Never mind. If Waterworld does, it's too Waterworld. But that one's probably not either. Uh, yeah, probably not. Okay, but... So I think the, the main letdown of this movie... And I don't mean to be too hard on him, because I don't know if it's a choice he made or a director's thing. But I know he's a good actor in other roles. I don't want to be too down on Kevin Costner. Mm-hmm. But I do think it was pretty badly miscast. And then the direction he took the character is probably the weakest part of the movie. I did notice... Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, just because there's interesting stuff going on around him. And he just seems very kind of dead fish, which is strange for the lead actor who's done great things in the past. It, it did seem to me that the, that the American contingent of actors were definitely, like, on a completely... They were not, like... They were just not on the same level as most of the, like, the English actors in this film. Yeah. Like, I just... I mean, like, Kevin Costner and then Christian Slater just seemed like a really weird choice also to play Will Scarlet. I was thinking Christian Slater of the actors they had could have been Robin Hood. That would have worked yeah. a little better. He probably would have, but he just, he made, he seemed like he made weird choices as Will Scarlet, and just that kind of just, that kind of detracted from me. Yeah, although. Uh, Will Scarlet has written was sort of strange, uh... Yeah, it's true. Out of left field plot line that kind of came in and didn't really need to be there. Yeah, I... 
Like, I don't know if that was from the original folktale either. I, but it just seemed kind of weird. Well, that's the tricky thing with Robin Hood is that there's so many different versions of it. Like, it was an oral tradition for a long time. So, I never know, like, which parts are original mainstays and which parts were put in by this director or this author at some point later on that I think are big parts of that. Because, like, to me, the biggest Robin Hood things are... The, uh, the original Errol Flynn movie from, like, the 30s or whatever. And the Disney one from, I think, the late 60s, early 70s? Where oh, it was Fox. Right, yeah. And, like, those were the two. And then there's been a TV show, there was this movie, there was the one with, uh... Russell Crowe, which... Whatever. <laughs> I have not seen that one. I mean, it's... It's as good as all of those... God, who's that guy's name? The Gladiator and... All of the sepia-toned... Uh, Old World Movies guy. Uh, what do you mean, the director? Yeah. I have no idea. Ridley Scott? Ridley Scott. Thanks. Okay. Anyways, like, all those movies are competent. But it was dull, and there was no charm to it, and it was just sort of a medieval, this guy's better at archery than some people, and he's gonna kill a bunch of guys who are slightly bigger dick packs than everyone else. <laughs> Which was the thing I thought was sort of lacking in this movie, was the archery aspect, like, at some point towards the end, you know, he's master archer, he's just all these things all of a sudden, but, like, the first hour of the movie, he doesn't touch a bow, and you don't know why he's special. Yeah, there's, there's, like, one scene... Maybe halfway through when he's when they're doing the training montage where he shows off and then there's nothing until the end. So it's kinda weird. Yeah. Well that's so like this version of Robin Hood with my understanding of the mythos of the journal is sort of like normal Robin Hood Minus the iconic archery contest, which I thought was a huge part of the story, always. Mm-hmm. Minus Prince John, who's the main villain. But I guess that 
to serve rank everyone up, like instead of Prince John and his servant, the Sheriff of Nottingham, they had the Sheriff of Nottingham and his servant Guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Guy is an actual character who's in it, but it just seemed like. The rules were exactly the same, except that Alan Rickman was a prince. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, normal Robin Hood, minus archery contest, minus Prince John, plus Azim, plus Duncan, plus witches and Satan. Witch. <laughs> 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 I don't disapprove of, but they did nothing with it, so I was pretty disappointed. Mm-hmm. And that's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> Tune in next week for the next video. we go back and talk about Waterworld. So, it it just, it it sort of felt like they they threw a lot of things in that they wanted to do, like sort of religious overtones, and the economic thing that's always been a part of Robin Hood, and this weird relationship stuff, and rape jokes which you never need <laughs> and like like they're trying to say something about all these different aspects of the story culture and stuff and then didn't commit to any of them does that make any sense? yeah I mean, I, I, yeah, let's, let, yeah, let's just, I'll just, I'll just agree. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> okay, uh, so, let's go through the movie, because, because these points, uh, make no sense on their own. Listen, so... It's, it's, it's a Robin Hood movie. They sell toys for this. Like, it's just repainted Ewok shit, but still, yeah. It's all toys for this PG-13 Robin Hood movie. Opens with torture and, uh, punitive amputation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like some guy like stole a loaf of bread or something, right? So they chop his hands off. Yeah, well, you see a, a random extra's hands get cut off in the first like 12 seconds of this movie after the overture. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad scene, but it's weird. And so it's a fairly standard, you're in a dungeon, everyone's awful, 
Someone's gonna punish one of Robin's friends. Robin takes the punishment form, except he doesn't. He, at the last minute, pulls away, which they weren't expecting for some reason, and kills a bunch of guards and flees. Um, one thing they mention is that when he's throwing one of the guys into, like, a fire pit, because kids movie, mm-hmm. he says, this is for five years of hell. Oh. So, and they're just now punishing, like, bread stealers. I see. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure, because the... The whole thing about the, the, the prison scene was that because it was filmed, like, in, at night, I couldn't tell what was happening except for the guy getting thrown into the fire pit. Because, like, it was just a bunch of dark, shadowy things happening and I couldn't see anything that was happening on screen so it was just like I hear loud music and I hear the clattering of weapons and people screaming as they get low on fire and then I think people are running away and then some guy gets shot in the back with an arrow yeah, and, and then yeah, then so so Robin and his friend break out, and he's trying. I, I'll give him credit. Like this was a good thing uh, to throw in. He tries to free some of the other prisoners who are tied up with chains mm-hmm. by doing the movie thing, like swing sword into the chains. And of course that doesn't fucking work. No. Because it's steel, it's thin edge steel on round, durable steel, and it doesn't cut. But there's there's no shortage of sparks when he does this, which is, of course, you know, that's what they did in the 90s. Was so steel on steel sparks. So you can only see the sparks in the scene. I could see the guy on fire, I could see the sparks, and I sort of saw the, the, the ring at the end of this scene. And that Wait, was that's, it. That's all important stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Then he does free Morgan Freeman, Azim, because Azim is only tied up with ropes, so he's the one he can free. And I sort of like that, it's very sort of practical. So why this guy? Like, well, because physics. Yeah. So it's just sort of a random choice based on opportunity, but Azim takes it very seriously, and 
uh, enters into a Wookiee life den <laughs> with um, <laughs> Robin Hood, which I don't know if that's an actual thing or if they just made it up from the movie. Yeah, it seems odd, but I mean, um, it's not the oddest thing. This was the 12th century, so I mean, people probably swore religious life debts to each other all the time. I, I just don't... feel like if that was a big thing in Islam, we would have heard about it. Probably, yeah. Cause like, cause Muslims aren't super rare. I've met a couple. I think there's like what two billion of them. Like, if give or take, yeah. If Wookie life life deaths were a big thing, I feel like I would know about it. <laughs> I. Well, I can't. I don't know. It's, it was probably just made up for the movie. But, I mean, it was 800 years ago. So people, again, could have made more life debts based on religion than they do nowadays. I want to do that at some point. I want to just impose myself on some random person who helps me out a little bit. Like when my first career doesn't work out, it's like, well, I just gotta find someone and swear a life to do the <laughs> Hopefully someone cool, but maybe just some dick. I don't know. Probably, yeah. So, the same night, I guess, or around the same time, because it just says, meanwhile in England, mm -hmm. Brian Blessed is there being rad, but unfortunately it's not a huge part of this movie. I was so... When I saw his name in the, in the opening credits, I was like, Okay, this movie is going to have at least one amazingly redeeming quality because I fucking love Brian Blessed. Is he Little John? Is he the Friar? Like, no. He's. And then it's like, no, he's. He's a dead guy who dies. He's Robin's father. And then some guy comes into his castle and says that some masked riders took his daughter and son. And so Brian Blessed, being Brian Blessed, uh, decides... Like, the hell no. <laughs> yeah, it's like grabs his sword, goes outside, He's surrounded by, what was it, like 15 people, maybe, on horses? I think like 30 or 40. Well, no, they're not probably. horses. Oh, they There's were. There's one guy on a horse. Right, right. And, and then, then a bunch of guys dressed up like the clan. Right. 
who I guess are the secret, like, Satanist cult that they allude to throughout the movie, which... This is a really cool scene. These guys never show up again. Yeah, like, those... they're just there for a minute. <laughs> and just there to murder Brian Blessed. Yeah, who lets himself get killed because comes out of his castle, which is a castle. Y'all know what castles are. Mm -hmm. They're fortifications built specifically to keep people out. Looks around, sees he's at number 30 to 1. He's like 8 feet from the front door. Uh, and he's like, what if fuck you guys charges into the <laughs> And I don't know if he kills a couple of them, but we don't see it if he does. To be fair, that was Brian Blessed, and Brian Blessed would do that anyway, because yeah. he's Brian Blessed. No, I mean, that part's realistic. What's unrealistic is he doesn't kill everyone <laughs> and then go home and bombastically declare that he has killed everyone. <laughs> I mean, first Sorry. <laughs> I also thought it was weird that he did not fly away because he is cheating of the Hawkman and that's what he should do. I need to watch Flash Gordon again. I really do. I've never seen Brian Plus do anything where he wasn't wonderful. I hope he's not secretly like an asshole because I don't know what his real life personality is at all. I don't think he is. I remember a few years ago there was like a some um, GPS company was was like they put out a poll to their to their audience to see who they would want to like just have have redirections and Brian Blessed was like the top name and so they actually oh, got yeah. him to record their GPS navigation and it was amazing and I wish nice. that, that was in America because I wish I had a car so I could get that GPS specifically so I could have Brian Blessed yell at me as to where to go. I mean, they have walking GPS. Yeah, but I don't... Wish. I, think it, I think it was like an English company 
that did this. Oh. So. Hey, you want to American Street? No, that's... I mean, I love him. I love him whenever I see him in anything. But just because I'm not allowed to have any light in my life, I assume he's probably racist or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So, he declares he's going to kill everyone and just dies instead. Mm -hmm. You know, fair enough. Yeah. And the sheriff of Nottingham is there, and probably his best scene, because he's outside and acting kind of realistic. <laughs> but none of these guys come into play later. This whole cult doesn't come into play later. You don't know who these guys are, where they are, where they're from. Any of us just. It's just disappointing. Alan Rickman's great, but. And Brad Blessed's great, but then. I'm talking in circles. That's okay. This whole plot element goes nowhere, is all I'm saying. Yeah. Basically. Then switches to four months later. Robin Hood shows up with the zine. They're on a boat. They get out of the boat. Robin Hood soaks his clothes in sandy salt water so that his skin will slough off while he's walking home. Because that's what happens when salt water dries in the only set of clothing you own. I know. <laughs> I I don't, so I will trust you on this. I mean, it's salt. It crystallizes, you know? That, yeah, it's fair. It's, it's bad. Actually, remember when we went to, uh... Well, never mind. Okay. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> And Zim, he hired some guys to try to grab Zim, put him on the boat. But Zim's too quick, and they can't put him on the boat, so they're friends again. <laughs> so this is the only part where the English accents, or the the relative accents of the different actors started to bother me. Because I don't care... I don't know when everyone got together and decided that a modern English accent was the requirement for all historical periods and locations. Like, even in England in the year 1200, they didn't sound like English people now. That accent is 300 years old. Uh, like, we know this. Yeah, and... I mean, they weren't even speaking modern English. There was 
Was that was that still like Middle English or was that Old English at that point? It was still Middle English. Like, okay. Um, I think it was we would understand it because Old English was just like basically German. Yeah. Like, if you uh, had to translate some old English stuff in grad school, and it was. It actually wasn't that hard, but it was. It was harder than translating Spanish. Like, it has less in common with our language than modern Spanish or French do. Right. But no, I think it was. It was late I think it was essentially modern English I keep not remembering the year but it was the Crusades and it was the Middle Ages not like the three digits right yeah yeah I think so well that's true because this was around the same time this was a Vaguely around the same time as Chaucer, right? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I. I mean, it's set in a very distinct historical period. We can look it up because it's during the Crusade, like King Richard's real guy. Yeah. So we can figure out the exact year. I I didn't bother to. I set a rule for myself that I wasn't going to compulsively research things for longer than the actual movie was. Because <laughs> that's my instinct. <laughs> so. And I've done that in previous movies. So in this one, there's a lot of stuff I just don't know. Because I sort of looked around for snippets of things to talk about rather than actual knowledge. Okay. That's that's probably for the best, I think. Just because... Especially when you go into movies that have, uh, like, a historical mythos and are somewhat based around actual historical events, I, I would probably also tend to do that, but I just decided for this one, I'm just going to watch the movie and take it for what it is. So, and it's, it's mythic enough that, like, it doesn't have to be that grounded. Like, I, I read some articles people were complaining about how, like, he shows up at the cliffs of Dover, but they're nowhere near Sherwood. And then where they filmed something was like 800 miles out of the way like whatever it doesn't <laughs> matter <laughs> um, but what does bother me a little bit is when actors from the same place have 
vastly different accents. Mm-hmm. Like, that's mildly distracting. And I don't mean like they had a smattering of different regions and England accents among the English guys. Like, I can't tell the difference on American, that's fine. Mm. But you definitely have two or three Americans and a bunch of English people and one guy from the Middle East, which makes sense. And it's really noticeable when they were raised eight miles apart and have accents from different continents. Yeah, I mean, just the fact alone that that Robin has his Kevin Costner American accent and his father was Brian Blessed that in and of itself is like how taught him how to talk (laughs) when like there's did you ever see Season of the Witch? Uh, no. I did I'm not, not re- recommending it. Um, it was Ron Perlman and Nicolas Cage as crusaders who were hunting down a witch or something. <laughs> okay. It's, yeah, I mean, it's Actually, no, I do recommend it. I'm just not vouching for it. There's two different things. You should see it. Don't judge me by its quality. (laughs) That was interesting. They didn't do the accents at all. They just spoke like Americans, which they are. And I didn't notice at all and it was fine because it was consistent. It's it, it didn't come and go. It didn't try for it with a couple lines and then drop it, you know. Yeah, that that also bothered me the first time I watched this movie when I was when I was first watching and then like there was, there was this. I think it was probably when he first uh, arrived back in England, and he tried to do an accent, and then he, like a little while later, is like, ah, forget it. I don't care about the accent. That bothered me the first time I watched the movie. When I watched it today, I just kind of said. I, like, I, I know that they're going to be weird accent different uh, accent fluctuations especially with Maid Marian that was frustrating <laughs> but 
I mean, I just kind of, I kind of let it go for the most part. The second time I watched it, I thought, all right, I know it's gonna, I know it's going to happen, and it bothers me, but I'm just not gonna care. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like it's kind of pedantic anyway, but it's not that it. Like, it doesn't offend me, it distracts me. And, like, anything that takes me out of the movie is never a good sign. Right. And this is for, like, any movie. If I'm suddenly seeing the scenes from, like, oh, that guy's an actor, that guy's an actor. That's clearly said. It, it, it can be charming, but it's usually a bad thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree for the most part. Just the second. And this time, just seems like a really simple thing to fix. Like, just don't leave it. You know. Yeah, I know. Just like I said, the the second. The first time I watched it, it really bothered me and it very much did distract me. The second time when I watched it today, I just said, alright, I know the movie's flaws. I'm just going to accept that the movie has some rather glaring issues and I'm just gonna kind of sit back and enjoy it for what it is. Fair enough. So I I did enjoy I did end up enjoying it more the second time because I know the first time I was trying to be super critical of it because I'd heard it was not great. But oh, I actually, like, cards on table, I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, no, like, I don't uh, talk too much shit. No, I, I, no, I, the, about halfway through the first time I watched it, I just realized, okay, I'm going to stop being critical. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it for what it is. And I did end up enjoying it. And then the second time I watched it today, I I ended up basically just enjoying it as much as as much as I would have thought I would have, which was more than I expected. Fair enough. Yeah. So the accents bothered me a little bit, but you know, they're not a requirement. The intermittence is weird, so so I love the wide shots and when they're sort of like I feel England in that weird like hilly pastoral super grey sense it would provide any contrast with the Middle East, except we don't get any similar shots in the Middle East. 
Yeah, we just get the, the one interior shot of a prison. Yeah, that's like it. I, 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 I sort of feel the distance they're traveling, and I feel the wide openness of the space, and like how people could disappear in this countryside and not be found right away. That's all good. Yeah, this is non complaint. It just would have been nice to see the difference between it and where they came from, but whatever. It's pretty neat. I like this place. I like the banter between these people. <laughs> I like Azim and Robin Hood's sort of vaguely antagonistic buddy cop uh, <laughs> back and forth and then they notice this troop of guys chasing this demon child who can outrun horses and hounds <laughs> I wasn't gonna bring that up but, yeah, just, I don't know how that kid did that. When it, it's, because they're coming across, like, the Moors. You can see, I mean, the Moors are a people in this, so bad choice of words. <laughs> uh, the steps, the... The wide, hilly plains where you can see there's no cover for like a couple miles at least. And Robin Hood makes a big deal of like, oh, it takes eight of you to chase down this kid. Like, he doesn't look like a threat. He is such a threat. He can outrun horses. He scrambles up trees. And he's apparently butchered hundreds of deer. Yeah, that was, I mean, deer or whatever. I can yeah. hundreds of deer. I know, but, oh, he's, but, he's, like, but he's like 12. Did you have you butchered hundreds? Did you butcher hundreds, hundreds of deer by the time you were 12? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. I guess it was just me that... I guess I'm the weird one, then. <laughs> that was, uh... <laughs> so, the ridiculous thing, the kid climbs up a tree... Guy... Oh my says, god. Get him back down out of the tree. Guy is overplayed in a way that I love. Uh, okay. We talked. Uh, he's got the voice. He's got the voice. And he's got like freaking prosthetic, disgusting teeth. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, I just love him. Okay, we, we talked about accents earlier. 
guy's voice is so ridiculous. For to me, like I, I actually, I could uh, throughout his entire time in the movie, I understood two words that he said because his voice was so gravelly and he talked so quickly at times that I actually could not understand what he said 99% of the time well he's like he's doing voice work for cartoon is what he's doing <laughs> like just he talks like the devil <laughs> no I'm seriously there were there were points where I actually heard him say and that's all I heard and I know he said I know he said words I just couldn't understand any of them. I know I peaked my microphone ridiculously when I did that. I don't care. I uh, I listened to the whole thing with subtitles, or watched the whole thing with subtitles, so I guess that was an issue for me. Oh, I should have done that. Oh, that was such a good idea. I wish I'd done that. I might have actually understood seriously, okay, the only two words I understood him say in the entire movie were stock pig. <laughs> that was all I understood in Oh you a, know what? Yeah. That's probably also why I didn't have an issue with sound effects overwhelming voices. Never mind my dismissal of that complaint, because I read the whole movie, so that Okay. Huh. I wish I'd thought of that. I mean, I do compulsively, because sometimes I watch movies on mute, because it'll be like four in the morning. <laughs> And I don't have any roommates now, but I'm used to having roommates, so it's sort of a, a habit. That's a really good idea. I think I'm going to start doing that. Try it. I will. Also, it means that you're technically reading, so when people are like, hey, have you done any reading lately? You can be like, technically. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I mean, like a book. You're like, well, no, but. <laughs> Do comic books and movies count? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this kid climbs up a tree. Guy says to get him down. And. This motherfucker takes out like a hatchet, like he's gonna cut down this four foot wide oak tree. <laughs> he's gonna be there for 17 hours. <laughs> What's gonna happen? 
I have you just question, have you cut down a tree before? Me? No. Audience, anyone. No. Like, it takes a long time if you have the perfect tools for it. If you have a hatchet, it doesn't even work. <laughs> like, that's a cut down a tree to make a house out of, because it's next to your house anyway, sort of tool for that job. <laughs> so you can spend afternoons on weekends cutting that tree down for a couple months. <laughs> like, that's... And they have crossbows. I don't know. Whatever. So treat this kid. They have all these like vicious hounds, which disappear. By the way, shit, I didn't even notice that, but that's true. I could not help but say, "Oh shit, Robin's in a lot of trouble because he's surrounded by." Hounds, which are gonna kick his ass, and soldiers are gonna kick his ass. Oh, wait, no. It's not the situation anymore. <laughs> huh. It's weird. Um, he grabs the guy's crossbow, shoots the guy in the hand. Kind of cool, but somehow being a super accurate crossbow man is not as romantic as being a super accurate bowman. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's just not as cool. That's a pretend complaint. <laughs> Gets the guy's hand. The dogs vanish into thin air, so he just has to knock over like three of the other guys. Uh, Azim refuses to help because he's praying. That Kinda was funny. That was actually my favorite part of this entire scene. Is that Azim was like, No, I don't give a shit that you're fighting people. I have to pray to Mecca. Sorry, well, dude. And I also like that he just appraised the situation right. Robin's like, so you don't help me when I'm fighting six guys. Like, cool, clearly you're still alive. So <laughs> I was going to come out with something serious. <laughs> Which I don't know how he knew the English guys were that inept, but he did because he's magic. Because he literally is, and we'll see that later in the movie. He can do everything. Yes. I will. I'll mention it later about the, about the ties to another movie we've talked about, but we'll talk about that later. All right. I will. Uh... Look forward to that because I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. I did like the hundreds of them line, where it's just the kid bragging being actually kind of rad. Mm hmm. Yeah. 
says you killed the deers. Like, yeah, I did. Like, did I finger? Hundreds of them were after. I forget the back and forth, but he just says some smug little shit taking runs off. It's just... This kid bothers me a lot less than most kids in movies do, honestly. And I think it's just because of that, like, he's... He kind of shits on everyone in a amusing way. <laughs> yeah. And then, for the first time, we see the movie that I'll recognize in. <laughs> Which is a different one. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to describe this. So, for one thing, Alan Rickman is... I feel like Alan Rickman and Kevin Costner had a bet. Where, like... Kevin Costner's not gonna act... And Alan Rickman's gonna turn up to 13 for no damn reason. He's going to do enough acting for the both of them. Yeah, he's gonna be like, if this was a silent film, it would still work. (laughs) Level acting. He's insane. <laughs> but also, like, the movie itself changes. It's like, you have these pretty straightforward shots, muted color palette and stuff, with every scene Alan Rickman isn't in. And then when he, whenever he's on screen, he has this zany, like, Sam Raimi shit going on. Okay, I were like, I thought it was just me that thought there were weird camera angles when he was on the screen. No, but I'm doing Dutch angles and okay. everything is. I thought it was fit, like extreme close-ups with fisheye lenses, even. Oh. Okay, I thought it was just me. I was like, are they doing something weird with the camera angles and the color schemes? No, that's actually, that was on purpose. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Crazy lighting and, like, all of a sudden it's a handheld camera all the time. The average speaking distance from the camera is like eight inches. <laughs> and then they use the fisheye like twice. It's bizarre. Like, yeah. Al Rickman shows up and there's dream sequences. <laughs> Which, don't get me wrong. Is rad. I oh, love no. it. Oh no, they're fab. They're fantastic sections. 
but but why is that? I I think it was well again according to Wikipedia they said that Alan Rickman he he actually turned down the role twice, but he took it when they when they basically just gave him complete creative control over the character. So I but guess that's for the camera crew. <laughs> like, also the set design. I, maybe. I mean, that's part of the character, right? I guess. Mm. I don't know, like, I... I love it. But it's, whenever I remember this movie, or before watching it again recently, I forgot that Alan Rickman was in it, even though he's the most dramatic part, and I think I know why. It's because it is a different movie, <laughs> and the two barely connect like I mean plot wise they connect really intrinsically thematically they do not run together at all yes it's weird so he shows up at a castle there's a horrible cage around me that kind of looks like Brian Blessed. And there's a blind guy who we saw in the first scene with Brian Blessed when he wasn't blind. Who... Now keep in mind, uh, this is four months later. So this... Eyeless old man has been chilling in the ruins of his old bedroom without food or water for four months. See, I guess. See, when you when you bring up things like that, it makes me realize how illogical and weird this movie is. Because I didn't even yeah. think about that until well, you brought it up. That was the first thing. It's like, how is he not dead seven times? <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, it doesn't line up at all. It's also like, don't make it too morbid, but like that is not a four-month-old Brian Blessed mommy. That's like a two-week-old Brian Blessed mommy. Mm-hmm. Like four-month-old bodies are are papery skin skeletons. That's just how it goes. Yeah. doesn't matter that much, but listen. 
No, those not four months later. Yeah. No, the the only thing I I could think of every time, or the, the at least the two times I saw that scene, where you see uh, Duncan without his eyes, is all it reminds me of is again. Uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, the scene where we first meet Blinken, and that's all I can think of is, oh, that's a very depressing way to lose your eyes, as opposed to just being comical Blinken, who's sitting on a stone toilet, uh, not realizing that the <laughs> entire castle had been taken away from him. I forgot about that scene. Yeah. He's like, I thought it was a bit drafty. Ah. Uh, fuck, I love that movie. <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, Dawkins like legitimately tragic. You feel yeah. really bad for him and you start hating the, the guys who did it to him, who Robin refuses to kill forever. Mm-hmm. But it just, it doesn't line up with... The problem is they said it was four months later. I think it could have said two weeks later or something, and it would have worked out. Yeah. Like, there's no reason... His dad has it on the same night he breaks out of jail, but they made that choice and now it's done. It's this is the only point I'm trying to make. I gotcha, yeah. Also, the castle. So, this one didn't bother me. Um, I'll go ahead and mention it now because otherwise it'll make sense. Actually, no, I'll mention it later. Never mind. <laughs> Alright. So. Okay, Cage Rowe, the eyes. He's been hanging out there for four months. Then it cuts back, and this is the first time we see the crazy fucking. Witch. Oh my god, she's so amazing. I'm sorry. No, she, she's great. It's another, why is this happening <laughs> in this movie thing? Like, I love her, but there's no reason for her to be there at all, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, she's the one who's giving direction to the Sheriff of Nottingham instead of Prince John because being greedy isn't a natural plan to have on your own? Well, I know there was a... There was... I think it might have just been like a throwaway line but it's probably supposed to kind of 
inform us of the backstory of the Sheriff of Nottingham is that some random character mentioned that he was raised by a witch, which I guess means that he was, uh, that Mortiana was actually, like, his, his, uh, not his biological parent, but she's the person who raised him, I guess? So... Yeah, I don't know. Well, this is one of those things where when I was reading about it, I guess there's an extended edition that does more with the witch and more with the Satanism thing and, like, they're related or something. Uh... But if it's not in the movie, I'm not talking about it. If you cut it, that was your bad decision. Because it doesn't make any sense. Alright. The theatrical release of your movie doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But in the extended cut, apparently, she was his mom. Which is why she's all jazzed to get her grandson on the throne. Okay. Because that whole plan at the end doesn't make too much sense for Riffin, for, uh, for Nottingham. Um, because he's the greedy one. Like, what would he care if in 30 years his kid is doing well? But for her, it's like a progeny thing, whatever. But they cut it, so it's not there. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, so she's all zany and it's got like blood eggs and a coke nail and shit. <laughs> and it's, uh, <laughs> like, she's. She's great, but she's definitely in the same movie that Alan Rickman is in. Yeah. Which is not the Robin Hood movie that the rest of the thing is. And she's crazy and doesn't fit at all. That's my only thoughts on Mordiana, the rad witch. Who lives in the basement with fucking green technicolor fog? This <laughs> work physically with anything else in the world. <laughs> oh, jeez. So you're what? What the next thing is? Uh, next thing, it shows, I believe it was Robin and Azim and Duncan traveling to, uh, Marion's lands. Since yeah. he wanted to, uh, he wanted, because I guess when, when his friend died back in uh, back in the Middle East he gave he gave Robin uh, 
his ring, I guess his family crest or something, and he made Robin promise to protect his sister. And I guess there was, I guess they had, they'd grown up together, Robin and Marion and what was his, Peter or something, I think. Yeah, so. they mentioned that they went to school together and Robin used to like, set her hair on fire. <laughs> yeah. Which I actually love that Robin was a piece of shit. Like, <laughs> I like anytime you hear about Robin before the crusade, it's like, oh yeah, that guy was a piece of shit who's mean to everyone for no reason. <laughs> he was this rich, spoiled brat who would burn people's hair. Yeah, he had people kicked out of his house because he didn't like him, and he would harass everyone he knew and like <laughs> I like that mm-hmm. okay so here's the castle thing that bothers me okay. so at Loxley Castle at the Brian Blessed's mommy's castle <laughs> it's clearly a ruin which I get, because I assume that the bad guys burned it down or something. And it looks uncharred for that being four months old, but whatever. Like, I got why the roofs are collapsed and, like, half the walls are down and everything. Because it's ruined. Marion also lives in a ruin for no reason. And what I realized is that these guys went out to film actual castles and did not think they were ever, like, livable. Hmm. So everyone's just hanging out in the, the thousand-year-old rubble of their own house. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> like there's walls standing around for no reason because the other ones have collapsed and there's like ivy growing out of everything. There's, it's not maintained at all. And the entire thing is like post-apocalyptic medieval shit, except people are still living there. And that's really distracting to me. Like, it's pedantic, but it's one of those things that takes me out of it again, because now I'm thinking like, oh, you guys thought it was a good idea to go to like the English Historical Society and say, can we film in your ruins because we're writing a movie about when they were ruins and fuck it. Like, that's... <laughs> yeah, that... Honestly, I didn't... Again, these are things I didn't really... 
I didn't really notice that at all, but that was again because I I don't for the most part I didn't pay that much attention to kind of the environments as much. There were a few points where I did pay attention that come up later, but this particular instance, it did not strike me. But then again, I can see why it would bother someone. Yeah, and it's not... I mean, I feel like I'm being abnormally sort of nerd-pedantic about this movie, and I don't mean to. It's just... There's so many things that sort of just poke me and just push me gently outside of the movie to make me question what they're doing, which is always going to bother me. And I guess it's a minor thing, and I don't know why I'm so fixated on it, but I am. It's weird. <laughs> anyway, I have this weird introduction scene where Marion has a decoy Marion who I actually liked a lot. It was just point she wasn't the real Marion. <laughs> it was just like some fat lady, which is what you would be if you were a rich noble in England. And like, she looks healthy, she's fine. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but she's a decoy Marion because real Marion likes to dress up as ninjas and attack her house guests <laughs> even after she has already heard their story and agrees with them. Hmm. And it's really for no reason. And then when they hear the fighting, Azim and Duncan burst through the castle gate by themselves to come help. Oh, wait, we skipped that we skipped that very awkward moment where Duncan and Azim are staying outside and Duncan is uh, just like he's just tear he's just tearing moors down. You know, and then he's like, "What, what, you know, what, what kind of name is Azim? Is it Irish?" And, and Azim just walks up real close to him, and he says, "More." And then Duncan goes, <clears throat> and then backs away, and then it cuts away, and that just made me laugh a lot. That was pretty good. It was. It was weird. Like, Duncan doesn't talk shit about anyone at any other point in the movie. But, <laughs> yeah. but no, it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. Uh, they, so they bust, down, they bust down the castle gate by themselves because they're living in ruins. Yeah, because it's just... <laughs> 
push on the wall hard enough and it just comes off. <laughs> yeah. And then just the whole Mary introduction is weird. Like it's the scene where they're talking in the ruins of her house <laughs> later are fine, but the whole the decoy thing makes no sense to me. It's just like a very 90s, she has to be tough, and the best way to show she's tough is to have the main character have to beat her up. Uh, <laughs> sensibility, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's around this point where Azeem and Vince telescope 6.30 years early. <laughs> um, because he's magic. <laughs> well, I mean, he is referred to as a wizard later on in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I... I give a lot of leeway to Zim because I know what they're trying to do is do a sort of a cultural sensitivity thing, like point out how advanced uh, the Muslims were in the Middle Ages, and because they do a lot of sort of over-educational kind of things with it. Where, you know, people are an asshole to him and then learn that he's cool and, like, it, it's a little on the nose, but I'm, I prove so I'm fine with it. He also definitely knows everything in the universe. And is a thousand years ahead of everyone else on everything. It's like he invents a telescope. Later on, he's a surgeon. Later on, he invents gunpowder. And like, just all this shit uh, that is not necessary. And I. It was so pedantic with this movie. I don't know why I care, but the telescope was invented 600 years later, and it created an inquisition because people found that Venus was a planet and they hated it so much. Like, it's a big deal. That's why that's why I turned my brain off the second time I watched it. Cause I was like, alright, I know this is gonna be entirely historically inaccurate. I'm just gonna enjoy it for the stupidity that it can bring to me. Oh, I turned my brain off the first time I watched it and I was like, hey, now <laughs> Now I'm going to be a dick about it. <laughs> okay, so they get chased. Um, 
I giggled when Nazim said, your horse is lame. <laughs> I forgot that meant it. It's just hurt. I like, can't go too much further. I'm rad, but you're lame. But that was... Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> being chased off by guy again who says things to Mary that I guess you didn't understand. Nope, it just sounded like he said, Yes, there's there's nothing That's what it sounded like every single time he said words to me. He makes some weird joke about, like, whether Robin and Marion are fucking and then rides off to follow him. Hmm, okay. It's weird. Also, they crash their horses through every stone wall they can find. Like, <laughs> no wonder the horse's leg broke its knees twice. <laughs> There's... <laughs> so, they... <laughs> so they run. They go to Sherwood Forest. Find this cascade stream river thing. It's very pretty. It's another scene where the 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 scenery and the sort of setting plays a big part, and I like that. Yeah, yeah this was gonna be in the woods. Sorry, guys. But no, that, that's all. Oh, I was just going to say that this is, this is one of the few times where I actually did pay attention to the scenery because it was really very serene with the, the water and all the, the trees and everything. It was very, very nice, very pretty. Yeah, it's like this, for me, this one and the, the fight on the wall by the tree, like the, the place, the, the sort of dynamics of where they are and where they can go and what's between who mattered a lot, which is a strength, I think. Hmm. The other thing I will admit about this scene is that I, for I, try as I might, I cannot separate this movie from Robin Hood Men in Tights, from the scene <laughs> in Men in Tights where they're, they're fighting over the stream because... <laughs> It's like a trickle of water. It, yeah, it was like a very a giant trickle of water, and they fight on the bridge, and this, you know, and men in tights, little John gets knocked off the bridge and falls into this little tiny trickle of water. And yells the same things that little John said in this one about not being able to swim. But 
it's like a half an inch of water in Men and Tides, and I can't not think of that scene when I watch this scene. Well, it's because this scene is right for parody, because it's silly. Yeah. Like, there's... Okay, A, it's a river, which... The thing about rivers is they go on and on for a lot of miles because they're long ribbons of water across the landscape. (laughs) So it makes no sense that these guys are waiting right here because there's no bridge. This isn't like the only crossing. They're just at this point in the river where they've set up a rope trap. Hmm. It must have to across the entire river. There's actually like 8,000 married men like stationed every 30 feet or something. <laughs> uh, but I don't think that's how it is. Like, at least in mid-tights, he was guarding the bridge. It was an unnecessary bridge. (laughs) So, that's the weird thing, number one. I do like Little John. Like, I like the actor. I like the sort of energy he brings to stuff and the sort of casual smile while he maybe murders a guy. Uh, yeah, he, he's, 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 he's great in this. But, motherfucker lives in a river, apparently. He just stands there all day and doesn't know how deep it is. <laughs> Um, doesn't know how to swim, doesn't know anything about the current or where anything goes, and is dumb. Dumb. (laughs) It's dumb. Well, he has his entire camp right there. He doesn't know how deep the fucking water is. Eight feet away. I don't know. <laughs> he must have walked across the river a thousand times. I don't It's the... Come. Again, this is why I turn my brain off for this viewing. Dumb. Like, I get, it's like, I know it's gonna be dumb, but that's why I decided I'm just gonna accept the movie for how dumb it is and just enjoy the parts that I like. So. What hurt you? I am not. Um, I mean, I I think, I think usually I'm the one who's much more, uh, much more critical of these kinds of things, but I don't know, I guess this time we did a bit of a role reversal or something. 
uns
precipitating event of this entire story. It's why everyone's on his side. And then you don't see them do anything until right after this next scene when it's a specific revenge thing that Nottingham's doing. Um, so they hang out. They wake up in the morning and they're all camping and whatever. It looks it. I liked it a little campsite, like it seems like an actual temporary campsite that someone would live in, in the woods. It's, it's fun. Robin goes to church disguised by just having a blanket over <laughs> talks to Mary and I can't for life me remember what they say. I don't think it's super consequential. The only thing I noticed about that scene was that there were a lot of candles. That's yeah. all I noticed is like there are like 200 candles there. That must have taken a long time to light them all. I noticed a more stark contrast between Rickman and Coster's acting than any other scene. Um, like, I can all splice in the audio, and I, I won't, but specifically I see where he cuts his his uh, cheek and Rickman's like, I'm gonna cut your heart out with a spoon! Yeah. And then Costa's like, so it begins. And <laughs> <laughs> sort of fucks off out the window. Yeah. Like, very uh, different approaches here. Yeah. The, oh, this was the other part that, that I, I I noticed. I didn't really notice the first time I watched it and then again in her first scene. But in the church scene, uh, what's her... Mary Elizabeth... What's her name? I forget her... I forget her whole name. Mary? Uh, yeah. What, whoever, whoever, whatever her name is, the the actress who played her. Oh, yeah, I she never saw her in anything else. I don't really recognize her. It was, but I noticed in that part, she reminded me a lot of like a low budget Julia Roberts, just because like her look, and she had kind of a kind of a weird sort of aw shucksy kind of vibe to her. She felt a lot like just kind of a Julia Roberts but not Julia Roberts, which was weird because it came up again several other times in the movie. And all I could think of when I saw her was, oh hey, it's low budget Julia Roberts. 
chance things. Like, I feel bad for saying that because I thought she actually was, she was pretty decent, except for her accent choices. But she was an enjoyable person to, she was an enjoyable choice for Marion, but it's all I could think of was, hey, she looks like Julia Roberts and acts a little bit like Julia Roberts, but it, it, it is not as famous as Julia Roberts. I, uh, I actually really like Marion when she's interacting with other people. She's sort of got this, like, easy, nonchalant, like, this guy's a piece of shit, but he's also an idiot, so it's fine. Yeah. Which is her approach to both Robin Hood and Sheriff of Nottingham, which I like. It's like, yeah. alright, you're, you're stupid and you think you're rad, that's fine. Oh, alright, you're stupid and you think you're rad, that's fine. <laughs> I, uh, I enjoy her sort of non-reactions to people a lot. Mm-hmm. Also, I like everything about Mary except that she falls in love with Robin when seems kind of strange. <laughs> so it's... It's at this point that Robin learns that the priest is in on it and is in no way trustworthy. <laughs> this is relevant because it's another thing he fails to mention or do anything about until it's way too late. Yeah. Again, I didn't think about that, but it's completely true. So then, because he steals the sheriff's horse and cuts his cheek, which, like, if you have time to reach out and slash the guy, just kill him. I don't know why. He's supposed to be super accurate, and he's five inches off of a kill shot. I don't know why he wouldn't do this. But if he sits kill a sheriff, he messes up his cheek instead. And then the sheriff gets mad, starts burning villages down and pulling down birdhouses. <laughs> Remember that one? It's like a featured scene of they're stabbing him. Oh, right. They're knocking down doors, stabbing him. That's how they deal with that. And the tire rope around a birdhouse and pull it down with horses. It's great. It's so weird. 
and then we see the very first time ever that Robin is actually good with a bow, which is when he shoots and permanently ruins, I assume, Will Scarlet's hand during his dramatic... Sorry? Was that Will? I thought that was just some random other guy. No, that was Will Scarlet. Oh. He's like, let's bring him in. Pulls out a knife and Robin Hood impales his hand, which... Hands, hands are very resilient in this movie, actually. Because he also made a blood oath was that your doorbell? No, there's a there's an ice cream truck driving by. Rad. I mean, I mean, under under here, under water. There's a, a kelp van. Oh, we should, by. We should see if we can get some tourists to buy us ice cream and throw it into the lagoon. I like that idea. They won't. They're not supposed to feed us. No. Rangers are very serious about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Well, he also does that stupid blood oath over his dad's grave where he, like, cuts his hand to the bone. So he gets his figure. Hands are magic sponge body part. They'll become anything. <laughs> that, was really, that was really strange when he, when he shot that... When I... I could have sworn that was just some random assassin that was just trying to kill him or something. I did not realize that was actually Will. It was also, it was the end of just really awkward monologue. Yeah. That's the what do we need that the forest cannot provide? Where Coster just doesn't use contractions. It sounds very odd. But also, like, I'm not a botanist. That's like an oak and, like, you forest. <laughs> you can't you can't, like, eat trees. They need to bear fruit. <laughs> you keep saying, what do we need the forest can't provide? Well, food. Food's a, a fucking big one. That's a thing you need the forest can't provide. I am not an expert in forestry, so I 
could not tell you like how that works, but uh, I'll take your word for it. I mean, I was a Boy Scout. You can find like roots, that some of which you can eat. You can like kill rabbits, maybe for a guy. You can't support like a hundred people in an area without crops or edible plants. Like that's not. No, that makes sense. Uh, And then you do the montage. Where they also are mining iron in this forest, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> See, all I wrote for that entire part was trading montage. Well, no, that's they're, all I they're wrote. making oh, yeah. bows and arrows, and that's fine. No, I know that they're make. I know they're they're smelting iron and steel. It's like, how? Where did you get that? And not even just a little bit into arrowheads. Like they're making fucking swords. Yeah. Like, they're wearing rags and using wooden weapons and three-inch, or three-foot razor blades made out of steel that they just found. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't, I don't know. Which is fine. It's a spirited montage, actually, kind of like the whole archery training thing where everyone misses and everyone hits and everyone's super accurate. This is the same five minutes for the first time you get that Robin's a good archer and that's his thing. It's like an hour into the movie, though. Uh, so this story seems to come out of the blue, to me at least. Yeah. Although the there's that the the iconic uh, point of view arrow shot that he does. Yeah, um, no, it's it's cool. Yeah. No, I just mean if he's gonna suddenly bust out with, oh, by the way, I'm the best in the world in this very relevant thing. <laughs> I need a little bit more of a Chekhov's gun earlier on, I think. Well, I mean, well, yeah. Because, I mean, he did the crossbow thing right near the star when he was, when he was protecting the kid, and then there was the 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 part where he did the 360 no-scope to Will Scarlet's hand. But, yeah, there wasn't really any other indication that he was actually amazing at archery other than those two moments. They don't even say he was like an archer in the army or anything. I assume he was. I don't know. That's that's one thing the Ridley Scott uh, and 
Russell Crowe one does better is just show why he's really good archer because it's his thing. It's what he's been practicing at. Okay. In my, uh, in my mid-90s, um, set in an urban Los Angeles remake of this, Robin's going to be a marine sniper. Uh, and you're gonna get a couple scenes of that in Iraq or something before he comes back and has to free the hood because that's where he's from. He's robbing from the hood. Oh, God. From um, a rich land developer who wants to turn his neighborhood into a mall. It's going to be the most 90s movie ever. I'm going to make it 2025. <laughs> no one's gonna watch it. But no, every '90s kid is going to watch it and love it. Best rifleman and we're gonna set them up in advance because that's what you do with supernatural levels of skill and stuff. <laughs> It's going to be anticlimactic at the end when he shoots the sheriff in the head with a rifle to confess. <laughs> There's no climactic battle, just. That's over. Now, it looks like there's going to be one that he subverted. Oh. He's, he's Robin Hood, and that means he shoots people with rifles. <laughs> oh, God. It's gonna be good. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> My only point being, his archery god who comes out of freaking nowhere. And from then on, it's kind of cool and they use it enough, but... Did he learn this just now? Has he always had this? Why didn't he use it? That's all. And for me, I don't know. The... the Robin had always worked really well with that sort of flitting... Um, the, those light duelist sabers thing they have in a lot of the other movies. I don't so much get... They don't play up the, the sort of dashing rogue thing at all in this. Which is direct, like, it's a choice they made, it's fine, but the... the when he suddenly is trying to be all charming and odd, it seems strange because he hasn't done that at any point before then. He 
he's been so like dark and angsty and then all of a sudden he's like flirting with this girl while he robs her it's it works it's fine but it's it's more like a callback to you know who this character is supposed to be as opposed to something that they set up in this movie yeah, I, I kind of get what you mean. They're they're just kind of they're sort of assuming that you already know enough about the Robin Hood mythos to know what kind of a character he is, so that Kevin Costner doesn't necessarily have to portray him as such. Yeah. And also, I think the swashbuckling thing works. Then when they do do sword duels in this, it's sort of awkward and like a little scary. <laughs> sort of because they're using fucking broadswords, not you know the yeah. The, they're also using they're also using broadswords. Pretty untrained, I think. <laughs> I mean, Alan Rickman might be trained in the several different types of swordplay, but I highly doubt Kevin Costner is, so. Well, put all the news like, throw stuff at each other. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I was saying the. The Robin Hood is suddenly a very capable guy, it just seems to happen overnight. It's like you've been watching this movie about this guy who's Kevin Costner, who's doing all these things, and then he turns into Robin Hood during the montage. But. Eh. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I got you. I don't hate. I don't hate. I'm just trying to to convey uh, the impression I got. I'm doing a poor job. <laughs> That's alright. So they have a creative muggings montage. <laughs> I have I have two notes from this montage. None of it involves the involves the merry men. Because so there far. was there was one scene where uh, where Nottingham is he's just kind of uh, very angry. I guess because they're they have been stealing money from him. And he's just kind of pacing around his room. And then he, like, stabs a table ten times. And then Mortiana's just sitting there and she says, Something vexes thee. It's like, that, that, that fucking made me die of laughter. And then there was another scene where uh, Nottingham was trying to 
decide how much of a bounty to put on Robinette's head. And all I wrote down was that I fucking love the scribe because he's fantastic. Sir Shiloh, it's not going to work. I'm sorry. I just, I, I don't know, but that guy, he's just, he's a fantastic character actor. I don't know who he was, but he was spectacular as that just random scribe. Yeah, he needed more parts. Like, he should have been around much more often. I mean, he showed up near the end, but again, it was only for about 30 seconds. And I was kind of disappointed that he wasn't, like, a more major character than he yeah, was. Yeah, Pretty much every time God was on screen, I could have had him on screen also. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, this is when... Well, actually, I guess Friar Tuck comes first. Yeah. No, that's no, the same scene, because Guys is leading Friar Tuck for whatever reason. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, I, it's a great choice to get for the actor Friar Tuck, I think. Oh, uh, no. My, Mike McShane is fantastic. Mike McShane. Yeah. I don't know what else he's been in. Uh, he... The, the, I know him mostly from the, the British version of Whose Lines It Anyway. Um, let me see what else he was. He's in. He's been in a lot of stuff. He, um, I know he was in Office Space. I think. Oh, he was like the. He was like the the um, the hypnotist near the beginning of the movie. Oh, the one who dies? Yeah, I think that was him. Interesting. I didn't know uh, that. I have to check now because I'm not 100% sure. But I think that's one that I haven't seen for a while. That, yeah, that's. It's, uh. I think it still holds up pretty well. Point is, I love him, and he's he's Friar Tuck to me pretty much from now on. <laughs> uh, wow, why is there like nothing on Mike McShane? That's weird. There's less than I thought there would be on at least on Wikipedia. Well, point is, he's wonderful. Yes. No, he, he, he's amazing. And he's not, he's not English either, which I think makes it, makes Kevin Costner's lack of, a, of an accent even more glaring. 
the fact that Michael McShane is just, he's another, he's an American. I think he's either American or Canadian or something, but he is not English. And the fact that he at least tries and does actually a pretty decent job of putting on an English accent. I mean, I think so. I'm not English. I, I don't know how well these accents went over to people who could recognize them. But I, I just mean, throw that out there. Yeah, but I mean, just the fact that he even gave it a shot and kept it consistent throughout his time on screen, I think that I, I give him bonus points just for doing that. Yeah. But so, okay, so this is... It's one of the most creative mugging scenes we've seen because they have like their hunter's blinds set up and their little trap doors and stuff. It's, it's the most obvious when Guy comes back. Because they have this thing where they, they lure Guy away with like half of the guards. And then they dropped their curtain of leaves and killed the guards they're still left behind. And then guy comes back and finds the wagon and his guys are gone. But they do one wide shot and it's really fucking obvious that there's blocks of solid foliage that are clearly not part of the forest. The people are hiding behind. <laughs> We're like, quick scan around the forest will tell you, like, okay, that's leaves on the ground and tree trunks. That's leaves on the ground, tree trunks. That's a cube of leaves. <laughs> it's. <laughs> unfortunate but again for some reason they don't kill guy robin's killed like 30 to 40 relatively innocent hired goons and continually spares the guy who killed his father and has don't and put Duncan's eyes out of all this horrible shit. Like, I don't know why. I know movie-wise it's so that uh, the sheriff can kill Guy and be all dramatic and evil. I don't know why Robin Hood keeps sparing Yeah, you think of all the people that he would consider uh, murdering, 
there'd be a reason to kill Guy more than any of the other random mooks that he's murdered, but... Yeah, like, I'm, I'm sure the mooks are... They don't seem like nice people, but they're also not the ones who are, like, in it for the thrill of torture. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah. He's killing a bunch of hired help and continually spares this guy so his cousin can kill him, which is weird. Yeah. Mm. And then his cousin kills him. That's the next scene. Yeah. Which, again, has more sparks because... 1990s. More sparse, crazy lighting, and extreme close-ups. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's very sweaty. <laughs> I love those scenes. I'm kind of I'm kind of curious now if I'm sure this has been done already, but I wonder if someone has just taken all of the uh, Sheriff of Nottingham scenes and just removed them from this movie and just stitched them together. I wonder if someone's done that, just put them back to back and see how that works. Hmm. I mean, I could probably do that if that's the... Would you want to see it and just see how it looks? What's the... I kind of do. Just to kind of see how, how utterly insane it is compared with the rest of the movie. I bet I could do that. Could mean watching this movie a third time, but... Uh, well, no, you, you wouldn't have to, certainly. <laughs> if you don't want to watch it a third time, I wouldn't blame you. Because, like, I've watched it twice in the last couple weeks. That's probably my limit. I mean, it's nice, it's an easy movie, like, you can put this on and just have it going without it. It's one of those movies where once you're really familiar with it, there's still kind of a familiar hominess to it. Yeah. It, it's... For me... The number one movie I can watch as many times as need to is Ghost Dog. I've seen that one like 500 times at this point. But this is one of those ones where you don't have to pay super close attention. You can put it on. Like, what part is it now? Oh, this broad arc. You know? Yeah. I need to watch Ghost Dog again. I've only seen it once. I love it. We shoot an episode on it. Yeah.
we should. Although, it's gonna be me compulsively defending it and you, like, it's okay. Like, no, it's not okay, it's the best. <laughs> but, but I'm admittedly biased for that because it's one of only, uh, like, four DVDs me and Drew owned. <laughs> when we were roommates for two years, so if I was getting a DVD player, it was that or um, it was William Shatter's documentary or something. <laughs> anyway, um, so Rickman kills Guy. Suddenly, Marion's here in the woods. I realize that Bull is my favorite. <laughs> it reminds me of like a hobbit. I don't know why. Like, he seems like he should have been a hobbit in Little Hearings. Was there. Which one was he? Or was he both of them? Bull is the one who's clearly a hobbit. Then there's the other one who's... Bull talks a lot more. He was in the campfire scene earlier. He's one of the six who helps at the end. Right. He's the... I mean, they're both really dumb, I guess, because they can't, you know, left from right and can't count to four. <laughs> but he's the one who talks more. Okay. Uh, then you see Kevin Costner's butt. Because he puts his butt in all his movies. <laughs> Which is obviously why Marion falls in love with him, is because she wants that ass. Oh yeah, no, I mean, she's never seen a uh, swimming trunks tan before. <laughs> because it's medieval England, and no one else has one. <laughs> So that is <laughs> Oh shit. Again, pedantic, but noticeable. Where are you tanning? We haven't seen the sun at all in this movie. <laughs> and then Marion and is it Sarah? Is her? Yeah. Decoy? Come back to the camp. This is where they sort of ramp up the Romance between these two, and it seems more. F- force isn't 
right word, but rushed. Like he's impressed by what he's been doing, and that seems to go into she also is in love with him very quickly. Uh, and vice versa, because, like, I didn't see the part where she was that special to him, except that he was sworn to protect her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Again, these are, these are things I, I really did not even pay remotely any attention to the second time because it's just you know it was it was again it was one of those things where it's just like I just didn't notice and didn't particularly care hold on it wasn't like super clunky it was just one of those I think, again, it was a, well, you know Robin Hood, you know he and Marion are in love, so, so here's them being in love. Yeah, exactly. And they have that pretty nice scene between Azim and the little kid. About being painted. Yeah. Which is another one of those 90s like no 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 don't be dicks uh <laughs> scenes which I will always approve of even if they're clunky <laughs> and then he describes like his mother dying Robin does and then him being all mad at his father and leaving for crusades. Did he go to crusades when he was 12? See, that was unclear to me. Because I, I, I was thinking if he went to the crusades when he was 12... And he was there for five years. Then he's supposed to be 17 when this movie was out. And Kevin Costner does not look 17. Yeah, like, so either that or he spent like 10 years bitching about his dad having a girlfriend for three weeks or I don't know what the the timeline of his life makes no sense with his hairline <laughs> because he's clearly 30 plus I can just tell that that's not a dig it's just yeah his hair is falling out he's more than 30 and he's a man he's got testicles it happens <laughs> <laughs> but all we get is that there's five years in prison plus four months to get home plus he was 12 when he left and I think I think they said that there was about four or five months between 
when he actually first uh, started leading the Merry Men and about this point, because there was some point where they had mentioned that it had been like four months since the, since they had started. It was something with the Sheriff of Nottingham. I forget exactly. But yeah, it was another and, throwaway line. And clearly he was in the Crusades longer than he was in prison. Like, you know, he didn't just go down and get arrested. That's like, true, takes four months to get there when you're beelining and probably a lot longer when you're part of a military campaign assuming he had some success at first or whatever. It just sounds from the scene like he left for the crusades when he was 12 and I don't think that's what they intended to convey. <laughs> yeah. But maybe it is. I don't know. But anyway, I just have that note, like, so did Robin leave the Crusades when he was 12? And then Wolf, who I guess is another 12-year-old who could probably go to the Crusades, is <laughs> doing his archery thing, and Robin messes with him, and Mary's like, yeah, I like it when you meet kids. <laughs> Because what attracts married is strange. <laughs> then they have the labor scene with Fanny, who's only been introduced in a couple throwaway speaking lines, but who wants to be my favorite character. <laughs> She's pretty fantastic. She is awesome. Yeah. She's having a baby and it's not working very well because it hasn't turned. I actually know very little about neonatal care, so I don't know what that means, but I assume it's the actual reason people need cesareans. Oh, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I thought it meant something like it might have been like, uh, whatever, the, whatever it's called when, when the baby comes out, like legs first or something instead of head first. Maybe that's what they meant. Yeah, and that can like the umbilical cord, like, Lynches them or something. I don't know how. Yeah, something. I don't know exactly either. But I think it was something like that, is what they meant. Yeah. No, that's that's not a complaint. It's just I don't know about these things. But Azim does, because Azim is magic. (laughs) So he does. And I guess Sarah's pretty old because her name after freaking Julius Caesar, right? Mm-hmm. Which is two thousand years before this. Yeah. But then Friar Tuck's dick for the first time. 
I guess kind of second time, but the first time I don't agree with him. <laughs> but Azim successfully does a serious section, a C-section on Fanny, the baby's fine. I'm getting Tuffy's crow, and now they're friends. And I actually really like the Tuck and Azim dynamic from that point forward. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. Then Will Scarlet wants to dance, and Rob Blake comes in and is like, No, fuck you, freshman. <laughs> and, uh, and Mary's like, Oh, I like it when you're mean to strangers. <laughs> <laughs> so she's just getting more and more down <laughs> And it's just this weird kind of montage of everyone hanging out and having a good time except for Will Scarlet. <laughs> And to see him reiterating over and over that he can't drink and Friar Tuck being an alcoholic and white toothless anyway. <laughs> then there's the I just have it written down which again rad coke nail ritual WTF <laughs> because this is where she like stirs her spit. Oh yeah, she she cuts her hand again down to the bone and then spits into the blood and then stirs it with like a knife on but like a cast iron skillet. Oh okay. <laughs> oh that's much more disturbing. <laughs> but she's like it's like on a cast iron skillet or something and it just it makes this weird yeah she's cooking it up yes <laughs> and so she needs this ritual to tell her that they should hire some help. Well, cause, cause he said that, cause Rick, cause, sorry, not Rickman, Nottingham, he, cause he got his, 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 it's, it's, it's Rickman. Okay, fine. It's Rickman. So Rickman. Okay, sure. Uh, so he, I mean, cause his, his, uh, his most recent shipment of gold was, was taken by, by Robin and the Merry Men, and he was supposed to pay whatever hired goons he had in order to find them with that money. And they determined in that scene that 
because through some weird way Martiana said something about the brutes or something and he interpreted that as um, hiring the Celts to to do his dirty work because I guess they will work for free? Yeah, it's the, the premise, the problem he's facing is that he has no money. So how is he going to fix this by spending a bunch of money? <laughs> he doesn't quite, I mean, maybe there's like a payment on delivery thing where like, okay, if you successfully take out this guy's stronghold, you can add your gold because that's where it fucking is. But, I mean, maybe, I think maybe what they were trying to imply, because there was another throwaway line where it says something like, the the Celts, they, they drink the blood of their own corpses or something. Maybe the, maybe the implication was that he will pay them in the corpses that they're going to kill. I don't know. I assume it was like a Dungeons and Dragons thing. Like, we'll hire you 400 adventurers because you'll get treasure if you do this. <laughs> I maybe. So by hire, I mean send you into danger so you can mug my enemies. I, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It was weird. Kind of dumb. But. Yeah. Okay, sorry. So what happens first is uh, Robin refuses to tell Marion that the priest is corrupt asks her to send a letter through the priest so she can get murdered. Because that's right. his plan. Mm-hmm. They have a humorously short sequence of events where she sends a letter letter is intercepted eight seconds later <laughs> and then her house gets raided and it's like it, it, it's like <laughs> I don't know how many minutes pass in screen time, but it's less than like one slice of pizza. I know Well, okay. There's there's the part where he sends he sends her off with Duncan because I guess he doesn't but Duncan's being a burden or something. Oh yeah. Oh right. I remember because he's yeah. he's talking about how Duncan's he's tired of Duncan's complaining. He's making this joke and it's like, ooh, I like when you're mean to old blind people. <laughs> Ha, <laughs> <laughs>
I know it's these things. Their relationship is fucked up. Because 
the merry men have this elaborate system set up where they fire arrows at the ground and then yell the message. It's <laughs> like... Like, I get the arrow thing kind of needs to, like, stealthily let someone know that you see something. They definitely just shoot an arrow into the ground, endangering everyone on the ground, and then scream down what they could have said a second ago. It... I... I don't... The warning arrows it's, it's no it's dumb. I don't get it. <laughs> okay. I just wanna point out I'm completely fine with you just completely destroying any semblance of logic that this movie had, which there was was any but, <laughs> but I enjoy like I was fine not even thinking about this but the fact that you're just, that you're pointing out all of the all of the fallacies in this movie just makes it that much dumber and that much more entertaining after the fact. No, I'm just... I'm basically letting you and the audience know every time the movie moves out, like, WAIT! I'm just sharing all my moments <laughs> with you. <laughs> Why are you shooting arrows at the ground and then yelling? <laughs> oh, God. So then... Celts run in for what winds up being no reason because there's a fire volley waiting uh, <laughs> that they just don't use first. So Celts run in, Robin shoots some of them, the Merrymen bash some of them, the Celts run back out. Then they fire a bunch of fire arrows because their entire settlement is made out of tinder. Hmm. And it works, as it should. Of course. What's weird is that then they apparently capture everyone. Because if you're in the woods, you know the woods. It seems like you just scatter and like 340 degrees <laughs> and you 
mostly be fun. I like the scene okay, the aftermath doesn't make too much sense. But I like how Robin like throws a bunch of gold on the ground to slow down the pursuers because they want to stop and get the gold. I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, like he's gotten to the point where he's more concerned about lives and money. It was good. Dramatic rope swing to save Fanny is a little strange. Because there's also ladders and she could have just got down. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it, it, it's fine, but it's strange. Then the rope breaks, Robin falls, and no one thinks he's dead. The audience doesn't think he's dead. The characters don't think he's dead. Didn't need it at all. But <laughs> he falls mysteriously into the smoke and is probably dead. <laughs> uh, this is when the new plot to Mary Marion kind of comes in out of the blue. Yeah. Where Alan Rickman's like, well, if I marry you, then my son will be. Or my. Yeah. I guess any kid, but the son is the one he keeps talking about will be the son of the cousin of the king, which is still not a king. Hmm. It's like a duke or something, maybe, but whatever, that's plan. <laughs> and what, he threatens her with kids, because he has all the merry men and the families and everything captured somehow. Yeah. Which I also didn't see, because again, all his ground troops were Celts. They got their asses kicked. Then he had like 40 guys with fire arrows and somehow ranged fire attacks caught everyone. I... Yeah. It, it, it's fine. At some point... Okay, then we have this... <laughs> so my note just says, Um, okay, backlit, whatever. No one thought he was dead. We <laughs> 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 have this... Dramatic reveal <laughs> where there's a spotlight behind Robin. It's the middle of the day, there's no reason sliding doesn't make any sense. It's coming from nowhere. And he comes over this hill, and you can see his like receding hairline probe mullet. And no, it's him, because no one else's hair is like that. <laughs> and it's this dramatic, he's not actually dead thing. Like, 45 seconds after 
Or he obviously didn't <laughs> die. <laughs> Maybe a minute. Like, it's not an Earth moment at all. No, definitely not. I sort of felt like someone must have insisted the screenwriter put that in there, but mm-hmm. it didn't need to. The death fake-out was not a death fake-out. It didn't need to go. That's all I'm saying. Well, I mean, there were still, like, 30 minutes left in the movie, so it'd be hard, you'd be hard-pressed to believe that he was dead at that point. And also just, the movie's going through the motions to such an extent that you know he's not gonna die without a dramatic ass confrontation with one of the two main bad guys. Yeah, exactly. And you also know he's not gonna die. So, um... Okay. Duncan though, did die at some point that we didn't see. Well, he he died, like, right before the whole bombardment scene. Did he like, just get off the horse and die? Yeah, he got, he got off the horse and said they took Marion, and then he... It seemed like he just took his final breath there. That's what it sounded like anyway. And I mean, if he didn't die right there, he probably would have been trampled by horses or stabbed by Celts or something. So he probably died at some point during that bombardment scene, if nothing else. Yeah, I thought it was just super tired, but, uh... No, I thought he was just dead there. Like, dead on arrival, but... I mean, I guess past a certain age, that makes sense. Like, he can only... Oh, yeah. So Duncan died. Yeah. Then they have the Will Scarlet Brother thing. Oh, right, that. Which, uh... I don't know, what'd you think of this? Uh, I mean, like they, they, they sort of, they sort of like vaguely set it up a little bit, like right from nearly from the start because was suit like that, right when they first started to introduce the Merry Man and Robin said, you know, he's Robin of Loxley and you see this one quick cutaway scene of Will just kind of like making this weird face and then starting to walk away. And then there's the, there was a little bit of the talk about how after Robin's mother died, then uh, his father found comfort in the arms of a peasant woman. 
but and then there's just like but they it just kind of like okay well I guess brother and uh, like Will Will's trying to be mad about it but it was forecast well enough I just don't yeah. know if it needed if it did anything for the story or the movie or anything really well I mean they don't really bring it up again at all I mean like it's like they Will's trying to be mad about it and Robin's like I have a brother and then he hugs him and then it's never really brought up again. Which, man, must have been awkward for Christian Slater, because he's acting the hell out of this scene. Oh, yeah. And Kevin Costner's kind of nothing <laughs> He's like, because I have a brother, and then just hugs him. And Christian's yeah. like, oh, come on. He's... Kevin Costner made a choice at some point during this movie. Yeah, to just not really give a shit. To be the... The, the weight to uh, Rickman's ballast. <laughs> Which comes up later, actually, funny enough. Christ. <laughs> okay, now this, this is, remember, like, an hour and a half ago when I mentioned something about how this movie reminds me of another movie we reviewed? Yes! Because... Because, and this is, this is because this is where it is in my show notes, I wrote, in an odd way this movie reminds me of Big Trouble in Little China, because Azim seems like, I cannot remember his name, the, 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 the sidekick character from Big Trouble who's not when yeah he reminds me of him in the fact that he's this hyper competent sidekick who can do basically anything and he should have been the main character but he's not because the main character has to be a white guy because it's Hollywood in the 1990s. But then again, on the other hand, it's not, it wasn't set in the Middle East, so Azim was the odd man out. But still, that's the reason that it reminded me of Big Trouble is because he was this hyper-competent sidekick who could do pretty much anything. You know, like you said, he invented the telescope. 
He invented gunpowder. He knows how to perform cesarean sections. And this is the scene, right? Where that's actually even on know it's like doesn't yeah. even Vince Gunpowder slash knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, he freaks out Fire Friar Tuck, which is great because Friar Tuck is because Mike McShane is amazing. And just that's well, he does the humorous fat guy roll back, which <laughs> I love. <laughs> it's like I'm a fat guy. I still love it. Stuff. It's, it's great. Oh no, I am too. It's fucking hilarious. But yeah. But that that was that was my that was my allusion to a previous episode, so that's well, all I it, had. It's it's around this point where it starts grating on me how good a theme is and everything. Because <laughs> even like first to make a point to say like, you fought better than a billion million <laughs> Level 20 English guys <laughs> 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 um, And like, maybe five. He's better than maybe five. Yeah. But, and then shortly afterwards, he's a wizard also. Mm-hmm. But Tuck is great. He's great with Tuck Sawyer. Mm-hmm. And then Fanny's cool. Yep. He's like, we all got like six guys, um, what about seven? He's like, you don't get hurt. And she serves her straight for like, I give birth to eight fucking babies. Don't tell me I'm hurt. <laughs> 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 She's a certified badass. Yeah, I, I don't know if she's a good fighter, but she's definitely gonna withstand torture better than any of those guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk about the torture scene, which is like 30 seconds long, but one of the craziest of the crazy Al Rickman Weird lighting, everyone's sweaty, Dutch angles, fish eye lens bullshit scenes. So Will Scarlet comes back, Rickman thinks he's working for him. Does the sheriff not even have a name? Rickman, but um, he was just the sheriff, right? Like, they, the sheriff or Rickman. They mentioned his they mentioned his first name in the wedding scene, 
but I don't remember what it was. It was... I don't remember. Okay, so then they have this kind of elaborate rescue attempt because the sheriff's going to hang everyone. They have that close-up of just this big old pile and he just gets all up in that duke. Dropping swords down so people can 
grab them and setting everything up, setting the, uh, setting the black powder kegs out for the giant explosions that are about to ensue. And I guess, was it at that point, um, shit, what was the kid's name? Uh, Wolf. Wolf, right. Like, he, he sees Will, right? That's what happens. Yeah, because Will's in the crowd, but he's like, right up front for some reason. I guess because he wanted to be one of the people to sort of cut any of the nooses or something. And yeah, but he's just he's showing his face to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. he gets discovered twice because before that, some random kid discovers him his really poorly concealed sword mm-hmm. like he's the worst of this right yeah and then Wolf discovers him and then I guess everyone discovers him and there's a commotion and uh Like, as they're stringing up other people on the gallows, and then there's a commotion and Nottingham actually tries to get, get, get get whatever's happening under control, and they drag him over and they find out it's Will, and he tries to find out what happened with Robin and Will concocts a very poor set of lies about the whole thing. Yeah, just say he's dead. Yeah. You're like, lying anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, but of course, because... Nottingham is Nottingham. He just went ahead and said, eh, go ahead and string him up too. And so Will gets he gets taken up to the gallows as well. And uh what was oh right in, so instead I don't I wasn't sure if it was instead of being hung. So it it fucks the plan up. Because he he gets tied to the gunpowder, so they can't blow it up anymore. So they'll kill Will's head. Right. So the plan goes out the window. They have to improvise, which involves doing pretty much exactly what they were gonna do anyway, but without the explosion. See. Here's the thing, I never got the, uh, what the first plan was, because Will was going to cut everyone down, which 
just someone else has to do now. But I don't know why, were they gonna blow up a, like, 18-gallon keg of gunpowder three feet from them anyway? Uh... Like, what? I didn't get why his being tied to the gunpowder keg meant now they couldn't, what, blow up all their friends? <laughs> I guess maybe the idea was that they would cut down their friends, their friends would run, and then when they were a sufficient enough distance away, which probably would not have actually been far enough away because it was a gigantic, it was a, a you know, 55 gallon drum of black powder, then they would have shot at the thing and blown it up. But I guess, you would have had an, an awfully far distance away for that to not affect you in some way. Yeah, it was... So, uh, it was strange. But, I mean, they had other... They had other kegs strewn about. But right. those all seemed to go well, because there was like yeah. one behind Robin, there was one up near the gate or something. Mm -hmm. There weren't any at the gate, which is the only place that actually needed one. <laughs> yeah. But, so they start to hang the kid first, because they're jerks, and Robin has to shoot the arrow. It's very dramatic. Um, would have been better if they had touched on his archery skills again throughout. Because I guess this is what they're doing instead of the archery contest, where he's so good he can hit rope. Which is fine, but again, like, his archery and this whole thing felt sort of out of left field because you don't see him do two impressive things with it. And then I thought it was legit suspenseful and knocked the thing down everyone's free. Morgan Freeman <laughs> runs up onto the wall and asks if everyone wants to be Freeman. <laughs> and I die. <laughs> did you catch that too? Yes, I did. But if you had all did. be Freeman, like, fuck yeah, we would work in Explosion and it's fantastic. Yeah. 
Hans. Honestly, Jess and I know his last name is Freeman. I, I couldn't handle that for some reason. <laughs> no, that was... I, I noticed that both times I watched it. It's like... Ah, he did it. <laughs> he said his last name, and it's fantastic. It's, it's around now that it turns into a comedy all of a sudden. Because, <laughs> like, the next thing they do is launch themselves in a catapult over the wall. <laughs> And land just coincidentally in like a bunch of pillows. <laughs> it was it was like it was a haystack, right? I think yeah, it was, it was a hay. It was a haystack where they roll out of it and then they run, but it pans over it. It's literally just the only haystack inside a courtyard. There for no damn reason. <laughs> and then, of course, Will says, I'm surprised they cleared it. Oh, he, cleared he, the he, he drops the only F ball in the movie. He's like, Fuck, oh, me, yeah. they cleared it. Which, I guess you get one, it's still PG 13, and that's what they chose to use it on. Yeah, I think that's the rule, actually. As you get, you get one fuck per PG-13 movie. It's weird American ratings. Yeah. Stupid. Crap shit. Have you seen that, um, that documentary on it? Like, yeah. this film was not yet rated? Yeah, I have, actually. That's where, that's where I know that rule from. Hey, listen, everyone who's still awake who's listening to this, um, <laughs> this film was not yet rated. If you like movies, it's super relevant and really good. Mm-hmm. I haven't vetted it. I don't want to vouch for it. But I'm pretty sure, from what I do know, that it's pretty spot on. Yeah. I mean, like, I haven't haven't done... Our system is terrible. Yeah, I haven't done, like, any research on it. I watched it several years ago, relatively soon after it came out, but it was very interesting. I did a little research on it, it seemed to check out, but I don't, I haven't exhaustively been, anyway, just side recommendation. Then there's like the whole, the wedding rape climax, which, yeah, my, uh, is, is, I mean, if you're gonna make rape a major uh, plot point in your movie, you can't play it for laughs and have it be the direct, like, you probably shouldn't play it for laughs no matter what. 
even if we can't do that and have it be a dramatic climax at the same time. Yeah, I, I think it's funny that you're using the word climax about this. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Good night. Okay, now this podcast over. <laughs> podcast series over. Just kick me off now. It's fine. I got my own podcast. Damn it. Done. Move to the East Coast. Never Okay, and I don't know why I wrote this because I do not condone rape in the slightest. But my oh comments, I did say that's, that's a bad I, okay. disclaimer. <laughs> and the, I said I'll give it to Nottingham. I don't think I'd be able to consummate marriage with that much shit happening. So, it's, yeah. Well, neither can he. That's, yeah. One of the inappropriate things they play for laughs. Like, you can't do it all this racket. So, weird witch lady's gonna go through her secret tunnels or something. Which is also, okay, it's just the physics of how this is going on that way. Isn't sweet. They get into the castle, him and Azim are killing everyone because Azim is, of course, killing everyone because he's good at everything. Yeah. And then. Nottingham has sealed himself in a room with the priest. And the witch and Marion. Uh, and they're trying to batter the door down and can't. But the witch keeps getting in and out, no problem. Like, she just. Because she. Okay, so Robin leaves Azim at the door. He's trying to batter down with the statue. Has to go up onto the wall and like swings in on a banner. It's all dramatic and kind of funny, whatever. Then the witch shows up out in the hallway to try to kill Azim, stabs herself with him because like she runs out with a spear. He takes it out and then she just runs onto it and impales herself with it. Stumps off impaled and then she's back in the room again. Like if this human just followed her, he would have found his way in. Probably just because I didn't notice that clearly. 
but I thought she just opened the door while he was trying to bash it down. And then she came running at him, but I could have just completely fucked her with it. Oh, okay, that's completely different then. Okay. I mean, I guess one of the things, one thing that's never developed in this movie is she actually a witch? Can she just, like, teleport through stone? Because, rad, but scary. Yeah. But that would be the only overtly supernatural thing she does in the film. It was weird. I didn't get what was going on. Again, just took me out of the movie a bit because, wait a second, I thought, wait a second, I, huh? Another move, another moment of the go, what? That's all. Meanwhile, Robin is fighting with... Okay, Coster is fighting with Rickman. <laughs> and they just kind of start destroying everything in the room. Which is also pretty comedic. With their amazing sparking lightsaber swords. Yeah, and they just... Like, they're literally attacking inanimate objects <laughs> instead of each other. Like, <laughs> aim for the bench cut out and stuff. <laughs> it's just very awkward because it's clanging around and they're clearly prop swords and they're just... <laughs> you know, it's, it's awkward. They're not very sharp. You just bashing things and throwing benches and statues at each other. Well, wasn't that the idea behind broadswords is that they're not necessarily supposed to be sharp, they're supposed to be heavy so you can club through armor or something? I think they're supposed to be both, aren't they? I think so, but I think like larger swords are supposed to be used more as like a bashing device than like specifically as a cutting device. At least that's my understanding of like claymores and that sort of thing. I know oh, they're I, not using claymores. And I don't mean to say, well, one of them is. Uh, it's Rick true. Sword is comedically large. <laughs> well, I'm not saying like the swords were unrealistic. I'm just saying the fight seems it's it's like not even a drunken brawl. It's these guys are chasing <laughs> through the room, attacking benches and tables <laughs> and shit. I don't know, it's just ridiculous. Marion's not doing anything, even though she was established earlier on for no reason as being a super capable combatant. Now she's just hiding in a window. Mm -hmm. And at some point, the, the, the bishop disappears, right? Because... He's in some other 
place and he's taking money and then Friar Tuck comes up behind him and in this impregnable room has like eight doors. Yeah. Robin and Zim were just trying one, I guess. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, but the, there's the point where you know the the bishop's trying to trying to beg his way out of it, saying you know he wouldn't hurt a fellow member of the cloth. And Frytuck says, "No, I would never do that. In fact, I just want to help you on your way out." And he starts just shoving gold in the guy's arms. And at the very end, you know he says, you know, something like, may God have mercy on your soul or something, and just shoves him out the window, which is all I got from my show notes, I'll just say, fucking Friar Tuck, man. (laughs) I fucking love that guy. That's a big fucking guy. He can shove people out windows. I believe. Yeah. No, it was amazing. I love Fred He's great. Well, I like the little touch where he falls out and lands in the courtyard, and then people immediately like swarm him because he's covered in gold. Yeah. Like, <laughs> So, this porous, sealed room of the priest and witches can you get out of and into. There's this comedic fight going on inside, and eventually, there's that plot dagger that Nottingham gave Marion way earlier as a gift she didn't want that she gives Robin. He stabs him in the heart, and Alan Rickman has the best Alan Rickman death scene. (laughs) Where he like drools so much. I flops around on the ground and crawls out the window and all this shit. (laughs) I wrote in my show notes that his death rivals Boromir's death from Fellowship of the Ring just for sheer length of time. Because I, I actually timed it the second time. It was like 50 seconds from the point he got stabbed to the point where he actually stopped moving. It was amazing. So, so that's all we watched Alan Rickman ride and drool and spread. Yes. <laughs> He doesn't even say anything, does he? He just sort of has his mouth on it's like, ah, like the whole... And like halfway through the whole thing, 
he pulls the dagger out of his heart and then continues stumbling and then falls and then tries to crawl out the window and then Kirk turns over and dies. It's like, it's wild. <laughs> and then this fucking witch out where she's coming from just pops up, Azim busts down the door and starts throwing shit to tell you yep. doors. <laughs> busts down, throws a, what was it, like an axe or something? Or it's, it's, his, it's his iconic, like, falcon or whatever that sword is called. Yeah. That's super curved. It's not a scimitar, just it's like a foot wide. I don't know what it is, but Yeah. One of those. And just like you know, takes cuts her down and then, you know, is like, alright, my life debt is is complete. And he walks away because yeah. he's a Zim. He don't give two shits. Like fuck you, loser. So out. The face is all there, like a year later for the wedding or yeah. something. But I, I don't think that was a year later. That was probably like later that day. Oh no, it was. Well, I can tell it's a little bit later because there's a bunch of fall colors in the trees. Okay. And everyone's wearing their autumn outfits. <laughs> because they did I did notice the people seem to change clothes a lot in this. And I couldn't tell if it was... Okay, so everyone in this movie is dressed, like, in a pile of rags. There's, like, 27 layers to everyone's costume. Hmm. So everyone looks different scene to scene. I don't know if it's the same clothes all the time or not, but it's all that sort of gray-brown stuff. And I know that this is much later because everyone has changed clothes and no one seems to have... Let me start over. Okay. Everyone has brand new fancy outfits that must have taken a long time to make. Right. Because all the merry men are wearing, like, crushed velvet, red, fall color stuff. <laughs> and it's all noticeable because it's such a stark contrast to the prevailing fashion the entire movie up to that point. That's what I was trying to say with a garbled wordy mess right here. Gotcha. But like, they're all wearing red and orange and stuff. They're getting married in the fall. Which I think means it's been a couple months. Yeah, I would imagine so. And then 
Fucking Sean Connery comes out of nowhere. <laughs> which I love. Mm-hmm. Sean Connery played Robin Hood, right? At some point? I don't know, actually. I think he did. I think that's why the homage. Which was pretty great, although, again, Men in Tights had Patrick Stewart, which yeah. was better. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because let's be honest. It's, I mean, Sean Connery at this point, well, I don't think he ever actually bothered to even consider changing his accent at this point so it's like you have no but it's like you still have a Scotsman playing the King of England so like that was I still thought that I thought that was just hilarious but I, I will say that I do think Men in Tights did it better with Patrick Stewart. No offense to Sean Connery, but... But, uh, but I do Stewart. think Sean Connery has played uh, Robin Hood before. Okay. Like, if they made a modern Robin Hood movie, you've got to get Kevin Costner's The King of England. <laughs> you just oh, got to get that going. <laughs> think it would be well, better to have Russell Crowe as the King of England. Well, he also, he but, played a dragon and he played King Arthur. Like, this is his, his job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, that's, that's fair. They get married and then I love, because Friar Tuck does that whole <laughs> movie thing where he makes a joke directly to the camera. Yeah. And just smiles and laughs with the audience, and the end pops in, which is. <laughs> this movie has a great opening and a great closing. Like, I love that old style. It's got the overture, and it's got. Comedy relief character <laughs> joking with the audience at the end. It's great. Yep. It's great. I got nothing to complain about. It's great. I love that. <laughs> so, good sign off. Yep. And then Brian Adams sings us off during the credits. Yeah, which I guess was a big song at the time, or it, was it a big song because of this movie? It won a Grammy Award for, like, best song in a movie or something. And it was nominated for an Academy Award, but didn't win. But it's so. one of those songs that you used to do all the time, like the 
80s and 90s where the, the contract someone to like write a song for the movie but then it appears at no point during the movie it's just like a companion piece or something I, I guess it was it was listed as the as like the theme song of this movie, but again, it appeared nowhere in the movie, just during the end credits. So. Yeah, like, Michael Kalen wrote the theme song for this movie, it cropped up all the time, yeah. but it was just instrumental, like, this song is only a credits song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was nominated for Academy Award for Best Song, and it won the Grammy Award for Best Song written specifically for a motion picture or television show. So. I mean, it might have been good. I didn't listen to the whole thing because of the credits I turned it off. It's, it's, it's early 90s sort of like schlock pop easy Creamy. listening Brian Adams you know gravelly voice 90s uh, dribble. You're the music guy. I only know Brian Adams. The guy who wrote Wonderwall. And I know he's just the same guy. I... That wasn't that... What? No, what was no, that? No, 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 no. He, he famously covered it. You're right. Oh, okay. I was gonna yeah. say, was that Oasis? Yeah, I okay. I know literally nothing about Brian <laughs> except that he once covered Wonderwall, and it was on every goddamn show for like a season. <laughs> okay. That's all it's okay. I'm I'm starting to learn more about music because like I'm 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 getting more into. Strangely enough, I'm getting more into like uh, pop music and hip hop than I ever was. Like. Uh, 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 someone at work just introduced me to Kendrick Lamar who I'd never heard before and he blew my fucking mind oh nice yeah and then uh, I was out earlier today getting lunch and uh, when I was waiting for lunch I heard three songs that were all like top 40 stuff and I didn't find myself hating them 
because they had decent melodies and really good drum beats. And I was like, okay, I can kind of get into this. So I'm learning about myself. No, I'm not. I'm really bad at being a hipster because I've always liked generally the top, like the chart topping songs. If I don't like one of them, I usually like at least two or three of the top five. Because, you know, like, yeah, I don't. There's really no music I hate. I think I decided that when I was in like elementary school. Like, well, music is still music. Like, if it's not my favorite, then it's at worst music still. Mm-hmm. But I had no interest in finishing this song. I will admit that. Like, yeah. I did turn off the credits before it was over. Yeah, it's... The, there's there's a difference between, like, pop music 25 years ago and pop music nowadays. Like, the, the thing about pop music nowadays is that it's, it is mostly written, like, by committee. You know, like, they're usually, like anywhere from two to ten people writing each, like, top 40 hit. But the people who are actually performing them are at least seemingly more talented than they were 25 years ago. No offense to the musicians from 25 years ago, but... Well, I mean, it, it just makes sense that we've got, like, a larger population to choose from than we call the best voices from them and then commodify them. Yeah, and then, I mean, you've, you've got, you've got, like, brilliant songwriters like, uh, Pharrell Williams who can just, they can shit out a top 40 hit every morning it's like it's it's pretty amazing like the kinds of the kinds of people we have working on music nowadays so yeah yeah I don't um, I don't know them but I sometimes get songs stuck in my head that are probably pretty famous yeah but there's also just like the genre of cause there are a couple movies like that. Like I remember um, there's a song specifically about a princess bride that comes on the credits at the end of Princess Bride that appears nowhere in the movie. Mm-hmm. But it's a similar sort of uh kind of generic I love you so much that I love you more than other people love people <laughs> song <laughs> which I, I 
Netflix, oh, it's a little boring, and if it doesn't come up during the movie, I'm not going to associate with the movie, because that's not how imprinting works, you know? Hmm. Like, to me, Michael Kamen is the song of this movie, definitely. Yeah. But, I also don't really care. So that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> so that's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Sam, what did you think? Would you recommend this? Uh, I would recommend it if you basically ignore everything we just said for the last <laughs> two hours about the movie. <laughs> And just, like, just turn your brain off. Don't even try to think about any logical fallacies. Because there are a lot of them. And just kind of enjoy the, in, like, like you said, you can, you can just, uh, just put it on in the background and don't like pay attention to the plot or anything like that. Enjoy Alan Rickman for what he is. Enjoy Mike McShane from Friar Tuck. Enjoy Morgan Freeman for being a wizard. And um yeah, just just enjoy the enjoy the silly parts, and there are quite a few of them. But don't like take the movie seriously. And if nothing else from this movie, I it it just gave me an intense desire to watch Men in Tights again. So, if nothing else, you can go watch Men in Tights after this and realize how silly of a movie Prince of Thieves was. So, that's what I got. Now I'm just disappointed that Morgan Freeman's ever played a legit wizard that I know of. That's true. He could have been the Hobbit. They've got those two blue wizards here from way down south. They'd be black. <laughs> well, I mean, he played a... Didn't he play like a... Uh, not a not an actual wizard, but like a... Not a street magician, but like a... Illusionist recently? Oh, I don't know. Was that in that catchphrase you can or something? No, the, uh... The, that, yeah, whatever Now you see me? Yeah, that oh. thing. I haven't seen that one, but I, I will. I haven't either, so... But I'm just saying, you can feel like a wizard with a fucking hat and a staff and stuff. Right. I... I don't think he's been one, but I don't know for certain. 
This one was close. Yeah. Listen, I, mean, I, I, I... Oh, sorry, go on. No, all I was going to say is Lucius Fox is pretty close to a yeah. modern-day wizard, so... Have that. We just played God, who I think started out as a wizard. That's also true. Right. <laughs> is that... Is that not how the story goes? It's <laughs> close enough, right? It's like a level 30 wizard. <laughs> King Jehovah. <laughs> I need to see more of these movies. (laughs) I I would recommend this one. I liked this a lot when I was a kid. I still enjoy it now. The things that keep mentioning sort of take me out of the movie are, I resent because they take me out of the movie which is otherwise kind of a fun, if silly, romp, you know? And yeah, I think there's a lot to enjoy here. I don't think it's as good as people uh, who hold it up as like the Robin Hood uh, litmus test. What's the word I'm looking for? The uh, Robin Hood archetype. Oh, okay, like the like the standard bearer kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't think it's a very good Robin Hood movie. Like I don't think this version of Robin Hood is very Robin Hoody. Although. Yeah. Again, better than the uh, the later one, the two thousand five or whatever. The uh, Russell Crowe one. Yeah. Hmm. What are we even saying? I cannot think of this movie as Robin Hood, but I think it's a fun early nineties medieval silly movie. Right, an action, sort of romantic movie. Yeah, like I put this in with... Actually, what would I put this in with? It, it doesn't meet the standards of sort of thoughtfulness and plot intricacy that we're used to now with like Game of Thrones uh, and Lord of the Rings and some really high quality medieval fantasy stuff that's out there but it's better than a lot of the time and it's fun yeah exactly if you don't think about it too hard and don't let yourself get needled by things that basically demand you realize this is a silly movie (laughs) so yeah I think it's 
pretty okay. Yeah, I would agree. Four out of five stars. <laughs> I'd give it a solid uh, three and a half out of five, I guess. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's amazing, but it's it's worth a watch. Yeah, on, on the scale of no, I don't want to see that, to yeah, we gotta see that, I, I put it like, yeah, you know, sure. It's, it's fun enough, it's decent. Yeah, I mean, if I watched it when I was a kid, probably more than once. Um, I've seen it twice in the last month, because I think we, we both thought we were going to record this one like two weeks ago, and then I got super sick. So I rewatched it like yesterday. That's enough for a while, but I didn't resent it either time, so... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I had never seen it before a couple, couple weeks ago, and, uh, like, I, I was, I said, I, th I think I said it, I was, I was super critical for about the first half of the movie, and then there was the scene where Nottingham was talking about Spanish steel. And I was like, okay, I, I really should not be giving a shit about, like, being critical about the movie. So I was just like, okay. I stopped taking notes. I ended up enjoying it a lot more, I think. Uh, the second time through, I didn't. I did pretty much just turn my brain off and enjoy it. Took notes occasionally, mostly when I would want to say the Zim is fucking cool or Frytuck's fucking hilarious. Yeah, and that was basically it. So. It was, it's, it's enjoyable, it's worth a watch. I mean, there are, there are better ones out there, but you don't only see one movie. So, fucking <laughs> <laughs> check out Prince of Shoes. <laughs> exactly. I would say if you want a really good Crusades movie, and I should watch this one again for recommending it, because it might not be as good as I remember, but uh, the extended cut of Kingdom of Heaven is a really good movie that takes place around the same time as about the Crusades specifically. If you want a silly Robin Hood movie, frankly, I think Men in Tights hits the Robin Hood mark a little bit more than this, even though it's clearly a parody. 
or Princess Pride. <laughs> Both starring Carrie Elwes, who really should have been in this movie, but oh no. I I would I would agree with Men in Tights. I only saw Princess Bride the one time about 15 years ago, and I wasn't caring at all when I watched it. So I wouldn't mind watching it again at some point to actually sit out, sit down and watch it. Well, dude, let's. Uh... Let's make that one the next one. Okay. Because that one is on Netflix, I think. Oh. Okay, well, I'll look, but I think I might. I know it was at one point. I don't know if it still is, but I can... I know it was within the last couple months, because I actually put it on when I was super hungover a couple... But in like January, I think, and then fell asleep through it because it's such an old, comfortable shoe at this point. <laughs> but, uh, uh, it's not on there anymore. That's weird. Because <sighs> I, because I could have sworn it was too, because I. Vaguely remember putting it on my in my Netflix queue, and it's not there anymore. Uh, maybe they just shuffled it. Like, yeah. I mean, that was that's the only problem with Netflix's service. If I can review streaming services real quick. <laughs> Is that they mix up their selections so much that I'll like get halfway through a series and get cut off. Mm-hmm. Or just things where you think like, well, I don't need to buy that DVD or that whatever Apple Microsoft Music Pass or whatever. <laughs> Because it's on Netflix, then it's not like it was for a minute, and then for whatever reason, their business model involves swapping out their selection entirely. Like, I got it into my head, like, a couple months ago, to rewatch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Which started out rough, and I didn't quite remember that. <laughs> but uh, I got like halfway through the first season, and then it vanished. <laughs> so, shit, you know. Just that happens a lot. Yeah. So, Netflix. I know you're doing pretty good, but just fucking let us finish our shows. (laughs) (laughs) Although I will note that uh, related movies to The Princess Bride include 
Bushran Roger Rabbit, Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one. That's pretty good, actually. Yeah, I actually wouldn't mind seeing that one again. Pete's Dragon, E.T., Jurassic Park. Those are all uh, good movies. But Pete's Dragon... Pete's Dragon the old-ass one, or Pete's Dragon the one that came out, like, uh, a couple months ago? Oh, I didn't even know there was a new one. Oh, yeah, shit, it was from last year. You know, I I saw that. It was uh, clearly a kid's movie, but pretty well done, I thought. I actually did not know that was remade. I don't know if you would like it. I would recommend checking it out, because it's weird. I'll put it on. I only have like 600 things in my queue at this point that I'll never watch. Yeah, that's... Well, that's the problem. Like, I have this... My queue is completely full, but then half the queue keeps getting taken off Netflix, so I don't know what... Like, I'll add something I want to see, and then I'll... I'll add something I want to see, but I'm not currently in the mood for seeing. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be in the mood to see it. Like, what was that movie? And I'll go find, like, oh, do you mean movies like this? Because we lied about having that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. You know what else is related to the Princess Bride? What? Cool Runnings. I fail to see how, but... (laughs) It says it's a 94% match. I don't know. I mean, fair enough, because I do like both those movies, but... I have not seen Cool Runnings since it came out, and that was 24 years ago. You know, I liked Cool Runnings when I was like eight. Oh yeah, it was fantastic when we were. I I have a feeling it's super racist, and I shouldn't watch it again. I really want to see it now again. Well, it's John Candy, right? Like, I love John Candy. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember some of the jokes from it. I just... Knowing the premise and knowing the era, I bet it's terrible. (laughs) But... Wow, there's so so many random films that are apparently related to Princess Bride like uh, Gremlins not Gremlins 2 the first Gremlins which I've actually never seen the first one yeah I've never seen the first one actually I think that's just because Netflix doesn't have the second one 
Oh, there we go. I was looking to watch that pretty recently also, because it was on my queue from earlier, because bastards. Princess Bride, I don't know, Princess Bride doesn't feel like many things to me. Like, never-ending story, maybe, is in the Princess Bride slot, you know? I mean, these, this, this match thing might just potentially be a match with, like, what's in my queue, I don't know. Like, what, what might pop up for you? I think it's probably, a, it's like a taste profile. Like, people who've liked what you like also like this 94% of the time or something. That's, that's probably what it is, yeah. Which, actually, I think is the best way to do it, frankly. Because, uh, Blazing Saddles is on here. I think so. They, I think they've... Oh, shit, Tropic Thunder's on here. <laughs> I've never seen Tropic Thunder. I really need to see that I know. Well, since I apparently have no idea what Netflix's selection is now, um, I'll hold off on suggesting another one for next time yet, but, uh... Okay. It's too bad about Princess Pride, you should see that one at some point. Yeah. Oh, hey, know it's a 98% match for Princess Pride? What? Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, well, they're both some of my favorite movies, that makes sense. Of course, yeah. Alright, so we'll, we'll figure out what to do next time, uh, sometime between now and the next time we decide to re-record one of these. Yeah, we will at some point watch a movie and then talk about it and then... Assume you guys want to hear us talk about it, <laughs> and then proceed with recording us talking about it as if that were the case. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what I do with the other ones, so it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you want to plug the other one? Is that a... I, I mean, I, I guess I could. In since... case this one has an audience and you want to <laughs> direct. And, yeah, sure. Uh, it's, I mean, if you, if you like uh, video games... I have a video game podcast that I do solo because that's why I decided to do it that way. I don't know why, but it's called the, it's called the Backlog Monologue Podcast, 
and uh, it's just me talking about video games. I actually just posted a new episode, well, as the day of this recording, about uh, the NES game Kabuki Quantum Fighter, so that was fun. It's just, yeah, it's just me obsessively and excruciatingly talk about games in ridiculous detail for an hour or so a day, or a week, not every day, that would be ridiculous. Once a week or so, and uh, just gonna play at least one game a week. And that's uh, pretty much it. I go into exhaustive detail for no particular reason. I guess that's just because that's my style. But if you like Matt and Matt, please check out our Patreon. And, uh, I got nothing else to say, so, do you? I would say thanks for listening, and uh, if you enjoyed it, you know, subscribe if you want to, or rate the rate the show, uh, or leave a comment, something like that. You know, all the all oh, yeah. the crap that everyone always says to do. Do all the podcast things because uh I don't do we even have to ask that I think people already subscribe to like things I always do I mean probably not but because I mean for me at least I I usually just subscribe to something if I yeah I listen to one episode, one or two episodes. If I like it, I'll subscribe. So it's all the regular requests: rate, subscribe, tell your friends, eat food, breathe air, sleep when you're tired, talk to your friends about things you like. That's <laughs> It'll come up. You know what's creepy is that was almost my exact outro for the for this week's episode of the, oh, geez. Of the other podcast. Almost oh, not quite, but I'll weird. I'll stop getting here then, but no, no, it's no, it's fine. It was like uh, it was. It was just weird that that was how coincidentally. How close that was to the other outro. Well, now, I've been Ben. And I've been Sam. Thank you for listening to Matinee Manatees. I love you. <laughs> Let's see it next time.
brought to you by our patrons over at patreon.com slash matineemanities. If you'd like to support the show, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all proceeds after hosting costs will go towards actual manatee habitat preservation. You can listen to Matinee Manatees on iTunes, the Stitcher app, and YouTube. Our music was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find this track and much more on his website, incompetech.com. 